We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 69 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. We've got a packed show for you guys today, starting with some exciting news for us. A new era kicks off for the Spurs Up Show. We're going to get to all that in just a second. Obviously, going to recap the Gamecocks game down in Gainesville. Gamecocks taking the L Saturday afternoon, 35-31 to 31 at the hands of the Florida Gators. We'll also preview the upcoming game against Chattanooga. Also have some really, really exciting recruiting news. Um, other tidbits from Gamecocks basketball. A ton of other stuff for you guys on the packed edition of the Spurs Up Show. I'm Chris Phillips. He's Thomas Floyd. Tom, great to have you back on before we dive into everything, because like I said before, we have a packed show with a ton of news and a lot of things I want to get to. I first got to ask, man, how was your weekend? I know your your Patriots got their absolute asses kicked on Sunday afternoon. I know everyone listening to this podcast, I think, is pretty ecstatic about that besides you. So, Yeah, I mean, it was overall a trash <laughs> weekend for me with football. Uh, I coach at Khan Academy, for those of you that I think I mentioned that before, but uh, we lost the second round of the playoffs, sadly, ended our season, and then Saturday, we also took an L, South Carolina did to Florida, and that just was made it my so weekend. You took a lot of, you took an L all three days of the weekend. I took all three L's in football possible this weekend, <laughs> at every level. I took it, every level I could take an L, oh, I took an gosh. L this weekend. Well, I mean, I'm a Panthers fan, too, so I mean, we took a terrible L Thursday against the Steelers, but... I had a pretty phenomenal weekend, man. Had a had a nice little uh, had a nice little date night with the lady on Friday night. Went and got some uh, hibachi, so that was fun on Friday night. and Saturday. Obviously, just watched the game, which wasn't all that fun, obviously. But watched the game, watched a lot of football, watched uh, uh, Clemson stomp Boston College at night. Got some things set up for what led to Sunday, which was a very fun day for us. Started the day, went to the old Renaissance Festival in Charlotte. That was a good time. Had myself a turkey leg. Had some IPAs, a really, really good day. Um, first first Renaissance Festival I've been to in, God, since I was probably like 12 years old. So it's been like almost 15 years. So, I mean, it's good time, though. It was it was a blast. I absolutely would recommend it to anybody. I, I really want to go again. Um, but obviously the news that came late Sunday night is what I want to start with because anyone listening to this show, and the first thing I want to say, where you're listening right now, I don't know because we are still working out some issues through iTunes. So I, I don't even think I told you this, Tom, but I'm not sure if iTunes 
if we're going to be approved or whatever you like submitted or whatever you want to call it through iTunes by tomorrow morning when this releases. So we are going to be obviously on iTunes when it clears, but we're also on Spotify, which is a huge, huge thing for us. I know a lot of people actually were asking us about Spotify. So we're finally on Spotify, Google play, Stitcher, um, Buzzsprout is where our podcast is being hosted now. But obviously the reason for all of that, that, like I said, this is episode 69 of the Spurs up show but it can be called episode one in a sense. Um, the rebrand has happened. A new era has begun for us. Um, we have broken off into our own entity. In case you missed the announcement on Sunday, we are no longer Armchair South Carolina. We are independently the Spurs Up show, our own independent outlet. Uh, I made the decision. Uh, it's been a decision I've thought about for many, many months, actually, probably since the spring. And obviously, Tom and I have talked about it, and I've talked with others about it. And Felt like this was the right decision and this was the right time for us. Uh, I have a lot of different factors. Obviously, we, I've been very open and honest with all of our listeners and everyone I interact with on, you know, whether it be social media or our show or any videos or anything like that in person, whatever. Um, and I felt like this was definitely the best decision for us to break off independently because I feel like we have a real, real opportunity to really make a splash, not just be a cool account that people follow and, you know, be, you know, we do want to be that obviously, but to really make a splash and be a legitimate player in the South Carolina quote unquote media game, if you will, I don't want to consider us media because I don't want to put us in that box. We're much, much, much more than media. And I think we appease to our fan base much more than just a traditional boring media outlet. No offense to anybody out there, but um, I decided to make the decision for us to branch off, become our own independent outlet. And I think it's going to be an absolutely fruitful decision, absolutely great decision for us. And we're really excited to operate under the name, the Spurs up show. It's going to encompass all of our content. Obviously the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet isn't going anywhere, but we will be giving you the best Gamecocks coverage on the internet under the name, the Spurs up show from our podcast to videos um, to any other audio content to articles. We're getting a website built out right now. Um, should be done, I'll, I'll say, by the end of this week. So please be patient with us. Um, we'll have a bunch of other exciting content coming through a lot of different channels. But, you know, I'm, I'm very, very, very excited. I, I really just believe this is a great move for us and really think this is, this is only going to open a ton of doors, of, a, a ton of opportunities, a ton of doors for us. Because anyone, I'm sure there are some people that listen to this podcast that are either involved in business or have their own businesses and can understand that, you know, one of the tough things is when someone's across country or not at the same location as you and you've never even met them in person and they're making business decisions for you, um, things can get lost in translation or things can maybe not get done the way you want them to, especially the rate we were growing. So, again, we thought it was the best decision. And one thing I do want to say as well is I want to give a huge shout out and a thank you and appreciation to those guys over at Armchair All-Americans. They absolutely gave me the opportunity. They, they gave me the platform. Um, this is something I can almost guarantee I would not done on my own. Um, you know, it took some people obviously believing in me and again, giving me that opportunity. And, uh, one thing led to another and we began to flourish and sort of ran with it. And obviously we brought Tom on back in, uh, what was it, Tom, April, May or something like that. So, yeah, I mean, towards the end of baseball season is when I first started. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's been a heck of a ride and a heck of a journey and to those fans and those people that support us, we cannot do any of this without you. And, we wouldn't be where we are without you. So a heartfelt thank you to everyone that tunes in every single week, that tunes into to any of our content, listens to any of our content, reads any of our content, anything, and supports us in any way. We genuinely do appreciate it. And, again, we're going to go as far as our fan base wants to take us. So we're, we're just having fun with it. And, again, I think it's 
it's already, I think it's already started to pay off dividends and it's going to be a great, great decision for us uh, in the long run is again, we pursue our journey to give the best Gamecocks, yes, best Gamecocks coverage on the internet um, undisputed. So uh, yeah, just to give you guys again, some insight, a huge, huge weekend and something that was, again, was, uh, I was very excited about it. I mean, I had butterflies before I went on the video. I was just, I became very jacked up and didn't know why. And um, just very excited, man. So it's, it's an absolute blast. We're also getting our LLC this week for those that are uh, business savvy. We're, I mean, we're becoming our own thing, man. We're, we're getting legit, Tom. I mean, we're, we're, we're a legit brand here. We're a legit yeah. business. I mean, it's crazy. Not big. I mean, can I just, can I talk one second about the Spurs yeah, Up Show yeah. Burner account? <laughs> yeah yeah go ahead, go ahead okay so i don't know if you guys saw this tweet or not that i put out but we obviously transformed the, the original armchair escar account into the spurs up show and then we had a twitter account that was already the spurs up show and i turned it into and we even chris talked about it and i turned it into the spurs up show burner account you know it was really just going to be like a joke account and be like i was be posting memes and like just sharing just like comical stuff that Maybe we really shouldn't be putting on the the you know Spurs Up Show account. Just more funny stuff, but you know that we had to we had to give up that account for some different reasons. But um, root to that street sweet prince. He was alive for a day, and I loved him. But um, you know I, I miss him already. I got to go on too we're soon. Gonna to, we're gonna have to get another account made up for the burner. But uh, something we're gonna have to do something to make up for her being gone. The good ones always die young, Tom. It's okay. Yeah, that's true. yeah we. In the, in the separation, we uh, obviously – I mean, obviously, and it's something where I definitely did not want to leave those guys at Armchair South Carolina or Armchair American high and dry. So I'm sort of glad the way things happened. Obviously, we gave them that the old The Spurs Up Show account and kept our um, – turned the Armchair South Carolina account into The Spurs Up Show. We had done all of that work and felt that that was just and that was um, – we deserved that, uh, and, and they agreed along with us. So – um, again, it was just great to see everything really worked out the way we want it to. And now here we are. Um, again, hopefully the iTunes stuff will work out and you'll be able to listen to this on iTunes tomorrow. But if not, we're getting that prepared as quickly as possible. And trust me, I am on top of that because that was the first thing. Um, on Saturday night, while, while a couple of my buddies were out, I was at home on the computer for about three hours trying to get the podcast all set up, get everything ready to go. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, we've completely done the rebranding. You guys have probably seen the new logos. You get to see our beautiful faces sketched on the new podcast logo, which is absolutely fantastic. Shout out to my buddy, Jameson, uh, who did the logos for us. He did an absolutely fantastic job. Going along with that huge news was another piece of news that if you did not watch the video, you missed out. And if you did not watch the video, I am very disappointed in you. But we will be doing – and one of the reasons the rebrand happened so quickly because, again, this was something – this was not a spur-of-the-moment thing. This was a very thought-out process. This was something that, again, Tom and I and others had discussed for months now. We, we yeah, I mean, talked been, about it. We've been talking about this for – Since the summer, years. at least. Yeah. Since the summer, at least. We had we've talked had about the idea it. in our head, and, mm-hmm. I mean, just recently. It, just it coming to fruition is almost – It flourished. It, it came to fruition, about. yes. It, it came to fruition. The reason that it was came to fruition so quickly – We are doing a live podcast, a live game day podcast from Flight, the Gamecocks Bar in Charlotte, North Carolina. We have been asked by the Charlotte Gamecock Club by Flight to come to a live game day podcast at Flight, the day of the South Carolina Clemson game. So we will be live November the 24th, I believe it is. Yes, November the 20th, right? That's November the 24th, right? I can double check that. But the Saturday, South Carolina Clemson, 
uh, we will be live from flight. I, I am extremely excited. Obviously, our first, yeah, November 24th, our first ever live show. I mean, I, I know I, I'm ecstatic. I mean, anyone in the Charlotte, North Carolina area that listens to us, we would more we, we would love the support, obviously, or come heckle us. I don't care. I mean, obviously, everybody's going to be fired up for the South Carolina Clemson game. Um, but we'll be doing a live show from flight. We expect a lot of guests to stop by. Um, I'll go ahead and spoil the surprise. We're going to have Clemson Tom on that week. I know many Gamecock fans may not be excited, uh, but we'll have we'll have two shows that week. Um, and I don't want to I don't want to skip ahead from this week to next week. But I, I'm very excited to give the news. We're going to have two shows next week. We'll have a normal podcast drop on Wednesday as always, and then have a live game day show. We're getting the time still ironed out. I think we're going to start the show around five o'clock. Kickoff obviously at seven. Uh, may start at four, four or five. We're going to start the show though. But we're going to have many special guests roll through on the live show, like Tori Gurley, Mo Brown, uh, Ryan Holinsky is going to call in, which is fantastic news as well. I mean, plenty of legendary guests calling in, and what should be a legendary podcast and the first of its kind for the Spurs Up show. So there is exciting news everywhere. And to top it all off, Tom, I'm not done yet. Speaking of Ryan Holinsky. If you're listening to this podcast, this just dropped. It's probably 10 in the morning. You're just now hearing this. You're at work. You're sitting there with your headphones in. If you follow along on Twitter, you know Ryan Holinsky is signing his financial aid paperwork on November the 14th. On Wednesday, when you are listening to this at 2.20 p.m. Eastern time, he will be streaming that live. He will be streaming that live from not only his personal Instagram account, but the Spurs Up Show Instagram account. So be sure to tune in. We're doing big time things. We got Ryan on the stream. It's a great time to be alive. Business is booming. We just rebranded Sunday and we've already got things moving. It feels good to be on the Spurs Up Show team. And if you're not, it's time to jump on the bandwagon. That's all I've got to say. Good shit is happening. So we got a lot of exciting stuff. Again, those announcements we actually already just made the Ryan Holinsky streaming announcement, but the announcements as far as the, the details with the live show will come out should be the next couple of days at worst this weekend. Uh, we're getting all that ironed out. I'm actually working with a couple of guys right now, the Charlotte Gamecock Club, and also with Flight to get everything, make sure it's all set up for you guys. It should be an absolutely fantastic time, um, and it should be a whole lot of fun. So um, moving on from that, because we got a lot of football to talk, Tom. Um, Moving into the game that happened on Saturday. Gamecocks obviously dropped the game in Gainesville 35-31. Gamecocks are up 17. It was 31-14 game. Probably three minutes left in the third quarter. South Carolina finds a way to give up a 17-point lead. Let Florida reel off 21 straight points. Um, and the Gators get the win 35-31. to <sighs> Tom... <laughs> Your your initial you hear my sigh. Uh, yeah. Your okay. initial thoughts on the game on Saturday and uh, just what you took away from it. Just a, I mean, just a heartbreaking game. I think that most people agree that they were shocked that USC came out firing on all cylinders. You know, it seems like the, the trend for this year was that we played bad in the first half on offense and end up trying to make a comeback in the second half. It was almost a complete flip. But twenty one points in the first half against what I would call a very good Florida team that I would went BLSU at home and you know, play very well this year. 20 points, 21 points the first half against them was great for us. Brian McClendon has done a great job in the last two games against Ole Miss and Florida. I know there were some questionable calls. People thought he went too conservative. I don't know about that personally. Having a 31-14 to 14 lead late in the third quarter against the, that Florida offense, though, that was struggling to say the least, should have been enough to win. 
I don't think the offense played too conservative really in the second half. And I would I would say Bentley probably played the third best game of his career, probably at the top five at least, I would say. Props to him. I love to hate him, you know, as much as anybody does. He's been playing his tail off recently, especially considering, you know, two of his best backs in Tyson Williams and Rico Dowdle were either out or injured. Because, I mean, or out or hurt, I mean. Because Rico was pretty limited, only played a couple snaps, and Tyson was just completely out of the game. And that really hurts you when you don't have those, those established backs. You know, I would say both are SEC talent, had the SEC talent in them to play running back. But, um, you know, I just had to say this game's completely on the defense. 31 points should have should have won the game. USC let Florida run for 373 yards on offense. That is that is insanity. And unless we're playing somebody like Navy or Georgia Tech, this should never happen. Jordan Scarlett and Lemp, I don't know how to say the Perrine's dude, Perrin's dude, whatever his name is. The other running back P-Ron. is pretty good. Piran, Piran. Yeah. I've been messing up his name all day trying to figure it out. They <laughs> abused our defense. You know, TJ Brunson needs some help at the second level. He just has no help at the linebacker core. Our third level was, you know, just I would say depreciated with all the people being hurt. Defense just got abused in the fourth quarter. Florida's last scoring drive, I don't know if you saw this on Twitter, but I actually looked it up and fact-checked it. They didn't pass the ball one time. They started their own. Oh, I believe 30. that. No, that's I 100% believe that. They started their own 30 and ran and clipped eight and nine a pop and just drove it down our throat for their last touchdown. And they could have scored again for, at the end of the game, and they just did for whatever reason. And then they they started their own 34. You just can't let a team run the ball on you like that. Having, I mean, it, and obviously our defense is very injured right now. We have four safeties out with Jam Williams, Javon Charleston, JT Ibe, and Nick Harvey. All those guys are out. Montag was playing hurt. That really didn't help you either. USC should have won this game. It's not, I mean, it's not anything to it. We should have won this game. But this game, to me, doesn't, I don't really think that it's that bad of a game, of a, of a loss. Like, it sucks that we were up that much and lost. But at least we show that we can be competitive with teams that I would say have played really well this season. Or, you know, Florida's obviously was ranked 15th. If you want to think that's high, but at least when we're playing ranked team, that's the first ranked team we played this year that I felt like we've been competitive for the entire ball game and not played just a good second half or just a good first half maybe. But – I was I was very impressed and happy with the way we played with so much effort throughout most of the game. And at the end of the day, to me, you just can't blow a three-possession lead in the swamp. If you have that at any point in time, you should win that ball game. I don't know who you want to put the blame on for this game. You can put it on Muschamp, put it on McClendon, put it on the defense in general. But I, I, I just don't think it's all Muschamp's shoulders like everyone's been saying. But overall, I mean, you just can't blow a 17-point lead in the swamp in the second half. That was as good of a start offensively as I've seen South Carolina have in a game. I mean, I can't think of the last time. I mean, you come out just – I mean, methodically move down the field. Use your tight ends on the first two drives for touchdown passes, like you said, Jake Bentley. I mean, ever since he got booed at home, he has been phenomenal. I mean, he has been – Everything's every South Carolina fan could have hoped for and the quarterback yeah. they all expected him to be. And I mean, you know, I I I echo your what you said. I and I was very interested and curious, Tom, to get your thoughts on it. Is do you because there's obviously a ton of people that want to say this is a hundred percent on coaching. South Carolina went conservative. That's you know, that's sort of the MO that people have. They want to blame Coach Muschamp and you know, I'll tell you this, and because we've had some questions about it. You know, Brian McClendon did not go conservative. I can tell you that for certain. If, if no, it did happen, it. if it did happen, it came from Coach Muschamp. Coach, Brian McClendon, to me, 
is not the guy that's going to go conservative. I mean, this, we're talking about the same guy that started out the Georgia game with five wideouts. He, he's not going conservative. But, yeah, the overall game, it was a really weird after the game for me, Tom, in a sense that I wasn't nearly as mad or as upset as I thought I would be. I mean, obviously I was extremely bummed. And I was I, – I think what it was is I was in – I was numb. I was in shock. I, I was truly yeah, – I, I didn't really want to believe it happened either. Shock. I was – because I, I remember sitting there on my couch, 31 to 14. I'm like, dude, we're about to score. We're about to get another touchdown, make it 38 to 14. We're about to cruise to a win. I mean, I thought we were about to cruise to win. The defense had not played good to that point by any means, but you had held on to 14 points. They had done – they had done just enough. And I think Florida yeah. finally just realized – we can probably just wear these guys down. And, I mean, I said it yesterday on our, on, on our, uh, on our Periscope. I mean, South Carolina right now, they're just woefully undermanned on defense. I mean, granted, the injuries in the secondary, the safety position especially, do not help at all. But, you know, no offense, but when you have a guy like Kier Thomas playing the end, I mean, you're undermanned on the D-line. You, yeah. you just – I mean, no offense. I appreciate everything Kier Thomas does. He's a solid player. I will say – if we're going to talk about Kier Thomas, what in the hell was he doing on that fumble early in the game with him and DJ Wanham running the ball? It looked like he was trying to screen Wanham off the ball. I, I mean, I it, that I is some of the wackiest shit I've ever seen, dude. I, that, that was some of the wackiest stuff I've ever seen. I, I mean, he's trying to – It was to, a very weird game. It was the wack – and then, of course, we cannot talk about this game without talking about the fluky third down play that – Kept Florida's drive alive. You got a, you got Florida in a third and long. It's 31-14. Basically, if they don't get it and they punt, I feel like the game is pretty – Yeah, we would have won that game if that, that play doesn't happen. I think that yeah. that play completely changed the game. Like, if that play doesn't happen, we win probably 31-20 to 20 or something. That game like – I mean, that play undoubtedly changed the game. But, yeah. I mean, everybody knows the play we're talking about. The wackiest play, it's third and eight, third and nine. The snap goes over Frank's head. It bounces straight – I mean – the the chances that has to be one in a million chance that ball I mean that that shape that football that shape hits the ground it bounces straight back up like a basketball right into his hands Franks is able to roll out and find a wide receiver for the first down and it, it was tipped excuse me the ball was tipped and then it was caught for a first down so just, just seems one like of this stuff always happens late. yeah I mean that that was a, a very gamecock play you could say I know there's a lot of especially old school gamecock fans that would say that is a Gamecock play, but just a, you know, I, I, I'll say this. I agree with you, man. I, I really think the defense, you, you've got to put it on the defense because, you know, you can say back and forth, well, you know, Will Muschamp, the play calling was because I'll say some of the blame deserves to go on him because for Jake Bentley to have only thrown three passes in the fourth quarter, it's unacceptable. And the thing that I think the thing that frustrates me so much, I, and I hate hearing it said, you know, when they say, well, we, you know, we still called the same RPOs from the first half, but this time they're – I honestly am just starting to hate the RPO. You know what? Either call a run or call a freaking pass. I mean, I think, this is absurd. I think RPO, it, with what, the way we do it, and I don't know, I could be completely wrong on this. I think that it's more of a – Bentley makes the decision pre-snap if he's going to throw it or just hand it off or pick, pick it himself. I don't think it's something that happens – in the actual, like, I don't think he's, I think his keys, I think he picks out his keys before he actually play, he actually, you know, calls Hunter, whatever his call is. But, uh, I, I just, I mean, obviously you want to call straight run play sometimes and you want to call straight pass plays, but I just don't think it's on the offense whatsoever. I think the defense just got gassed. And I, no, no, I, I'm not, and I'm not trying to, I, I'm kind of more of going off on a tangent with that. It's just, 
it just feels like to me with the RPOs, the thing I hate is like, so you're telling me we called the same exact plays at the first half and we had different results because our quarterback made a different decision. Like, that just well, I mean, seems stupid to me. Like, just call a play. Like, I, I mean, I, it seems like the R- – and, again, I'm going off on a tangent. This is not even necessarily about this game, but the RPO feels like to me it was designed to bail out an offensive coordinator. Like, why can't you just call a good play? Like, just I mean, call it's more play. of a – it's, it's a bad play. It's more of a defense, in my opinion, than it is – Dolphins, I think it, it can help you sometimes, but it can also hurt you if you're too reluctant to call anything else. Like, I would say South Carolina probably was Saturday. I'm just saying, like, I would rather it be like the Spurrier days or any other team where it's like, okay, let's go up to the line. We got a play called. Look over to the sideline. See what the coach sees. If he sees – maybe we're spoiled. Maybe I'm spoiled because of Spurrier. Because obviously Spurrier, they'd get set, and Spurrier would see something. He'd call in a different play or a check or whatever. I mean, I just feel like you're putting – with the RPO, you're putting so much of the game and so much of the pressure in the offense in the quarterback's hands. And I know your quarterback is like your guy. Obviously, I mean, this is no knock on Jake Bentley, but he's a 20-year-old kid. Like, you're an offensive coordinator getting paid millions of dollars. Like, you should be able to make the call. You should be able to make a call that's going to work. I mean, it, anyways, that's a completely un, almost unrelated subject. But, no, I agree with you 100%. I just – there's – you have to put the blame on the defense in this game. I mean, that was an atrocious defensive performance. And it was one of those games you knew when Florida got the ball, we can't stop them. We yeah. cannot stop them. They're gashing us. I mean, you, we couldn't stop them. I mean, just you just don't – I mean, Javon Kinlaw, love him. Love him. He's a beast in the middle. But he is by himself on that D-line, and he gets lost in games. He gets Yeah, double- I mean, it's easy. You don't we, even hear his name. I think he's games. starting to get a lot of – double teams and I wouldn't say triple teams he's he's probably starting to get a lot more doubles because they know how bad South Carolina's linebacker core is other than TJ Brunson so they don't even worry about blocking those guys it's like I mean when you realistically when you realistically think like what size does South Carolina have in the interior they've got Javon Kinlaw but then I mean I'd say your other two guys where you're looking at true size are Rick Sanage and JJ Anigbari and they're fresh uh, I mean you have Kobe Smith too he's a pretty I, I like the way he's developing he's playing pretty well but I mean that's two guys you have that are what like three 310, 320, that's, yeah. that's it. And then you got Josh Belk, who isn't in shape really to play. I mean, he's playing Saturday. No, I don't yeah, really he, think he's, he's in the greatest nah. shape right now. No, no, not at all. But then you look at the ends, too, and, like, I mean, Aaron Sterling. We talked about this with the Georgia game. I mean, the yeah. guys on the ends, vastly undersized. He's 5'11", I mean, just... and, like, probably 270, <laughs> maybe. Uh, I would maybe give him 270. I mean, and, pl- and, he's and then, like against, I said. Mostly played against 6'4", 6'5", and 330. I mean, you're going to get overwhelmed. And then, yeah, I don't want to knock here, Thomas, but my God, man. I mean, you know, it just you just you you're you're not playing with a full deck. That's what it feels like. You're yeah. not playing. And then, and obviously, the linebacking core. My God, I mean, they're just not there. I, I mean, love him to death again, but Sherrod Green, my God, I mean, he's got to get better. And the one thing I'll say too, because people are going to probably say, I can't believe you're calling out the players by name. Listen, I give them the MP, MVP award when they do really, really well. You got to call it like you see it. If you want me to say 44 because it'll make you feel better, well, screw it. I'm not going to say that. I'm going to tell him my yeah, name. Really. I mean, Gerard Green, I mean, Gerard Green has had tackling issues. Let's just be completely honest. Yeah. We all watch the game. He has had t- – I mean, T.J. Brunson is really just out there doing it by himself. But you think about, again, what you're working with at linebacker. I mean, Damani Staley, again, he's – I don't – you know, no knock on him, but he's not an all-SEC level guy. He's a he's solid – He's a special teams player. He, he's been he's been he's been better than I expected this season. Yeah. I'll say that. 
But then, you know, Danny Finnell, he's an okay piece. I mean, but then Rosendo Lewis, true freshman. Ernest Jones, true freshman. I mean, there's not another T.J. Brunson caliber player. Yeah, I mean, really quickly, the thing with Ernest Jones is that he had a back injury coming in and really didn't get to enroll and get yeah. started in practice till almost camp. And then you have Rosendo Lewis, who obviously I think is going to be a good player once he gets to a, a, a lower weight, but a guy that just can't doesn't have the speed right now. And so when you, you really have one linebacker and really two, I would say, elite defense alignment in D.J. Wanham and Javon Kinlaw, and then T.J. Brunson's your really, really good linebacker. I mean, you know who to key on. I mean, you block those three guys, you're probably going to run for a decent amount of yardage, which Florida did. You know, it's it's funny. we Because we obviously – you know, we criticize players. That's kind of what we do. You know, that's what every, all of – any analysts or any uh, anybody with opinions or whatever, that's what they do, right? That's what we live off of. Um, but it's funny. <laughs> you, you think back to the guys we criticize, and I'm like, man, I kind of miss Chris Lamonts and DJ Smith and Sky Moore. Mm, and, I don't miss DJ Smith. I don't miss. I DJ mean, Smith. I would take him right now. We need safety help. I would, I, yeah, I would take him right now. At least, I would not I mean, want him any. Only because of the injuries is the only reason I want him. I know, I know, I know. I, I, see, I tell you this. I miss DJ Smith. I don't miss Chris Moody. Though. I tell you that right now. No. Um, but no, like, I mean, God, Sky Moore. This team could desperately use. I mean, if you had to pull one player from last year's team and bring him back, I, it might be Sky Moore for me. I, I mean, if you put one linebacker, it would probably be Shaq Wilson because that's just the kind of, I think, thumper we need a linebacker. But, I mean, I, Sky Moore would probably, I mean, one of the best linebackers in South Carolina history. And you can obviously tell losing him and Dante Sawyer, another guy, I mean, he led the nation in forced fumbles. You can just tell what kind of yeah, difference. No, that's, good. that's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, even if he wasn't, you know, all world. I mean, he's a, he's a senior. He knows the game. He was very football smart. I mean, but I mean, the trend continues, Tom, the trend continues in this game as well. South Carolina, the biggest difference between them this season and a season ago, they're just not getting those turnovers. I mean, yes, you had the yeah. fumble or Debo Samuel, which crazy. I, I, I tweeted this. I was like, yeah, raise your hand if you didn't know Debo Samuel was a gunner on the punt team. I, I did not have a I knew clue. it just because I'd seen him I mean, just because I know much of it comes from the Alabama school of we're going to put our best players on special teams because we want them to be able to – we want to ha- them to make plays everywhere they're on the field. I didn't have a clue. I'll be honest, I didn't have a damn clue. Because I think um, last year, Jamarcus King – I mean, the best – most of the best defensive players and best corners play and receivers play gunner. So, I would assume – I mean, not, not that I would assume Debo would, but I was – before that, I, I'd kind of known that he'd been doing something like that. Right, right, right. No, but, yeah, I mean, you know, South Carolina is just not getting those turnovers this season. They're not getting those opportunistic game-changing turnovers. I mean, and you know, a lot of the turnovers last season, you know, the ball just bounces your way. The ball bounces the right way for you, and you get it. This season, I mean, you look at that Felipe Franks play. You look at that – that we call it a bullshit play. I mean, that ball – that ball last year – that ball last year bounces your way, and you get the fumble. I mean, it's just how it is. That, that early fumble where Keir Thomas is – it's like he's blocking off DJ Wanham. You get that I mean, play. You get that fumble. Maybe he thinks that – maybe he thought that DJ was one of Florida's players. But, I mean, if you look at last year – if not look at last year. If you look at 2017, we won one – I'm counting right now. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six of our nine wins last year came by one possession. This year, in one possession games, we've lost uh, – Kentucky was a two-possession game. We lost that one. Our other loss to Texas A&M was a three-point loss. Florida was a four-point loss. I mean, that's really all the difference is we're not winning the one-score games we were last year, and a lot mm-hmm. of that is we're not getting the ball off of people and getting more possessions for our offense. Is a, It's really a yeah. lot of that, in my opinion. 
turnovers can mask a lot of inefficiencies of a team and can yeah. make a bad – I'm not going to say a bad team. I don't say South Carolina's a bad team. But can make an average team really good. Or I mean, I would good. think that – I know Florida's pretty high this year in turnover margin. I don't know what it is, but I know I've seen stats that they're doing pretty good. And I almost want to say that Florida's team this year almost is a very similar team to South Carolina last year in that right. they're probably really not the most talented team in the world, but they're opportunistic and they're wanting to play for their head coach and win games. And they're just doing – and it, it just luck is bouncing their way this year. And that just seems like – it just seems like that's a pretty sim, pretty good similarity to me. No, I, I said I, South Carolina made a really bad team look good on Saturday. I, I don't think Florida's good at all, honestly. I, they're not a top 15 team. I don't think – I don't even – I'm not even sure they're a top 25 team. And I'm not I trying to take top, away from I would South definitely Carolina say top 25. I'm not trying to wake away from South Carolina, did, but, I mean, Felipe Franks is a joke. At court. He's a yeah. walking, functioning trash bag. Um, I mean – I, that's just the that's just the honest truth coming from I me. Mean, I, I, I don't think he's anything at all. I mean, you people that want to complain about Jake Bentley, live a season with Felipe Franks, and you you'll you'll be begging for Jake Bentley back. And and that's another thing too. Anyone that blames Jake Bentley, and you know, I don't have to keep harping and saying every single week. Well, you know, I've talked crap about Jake Bentley this season. Everybody knows. Anybody that blames Jake Bentley for that game Saturday, you are a you are a you're on something. You're an idiot. Like, you're an idiot. Period. Jake Bentley did everything to win that game. He's, played his, best, he's, he's played his best he, football. And, he, and here's the thing. People, I feel like people are going to try to bring up his interception late. In the, I mean, he, we should have never even been in that position. And, I mean, at that point, you're having to force the ball down the field. Just screw it. We got to throw it downfield. I mean, I will say this because, Tommy, we had talked about, you know, it's not on the play calling. I will say. For one, I don't think you can completely take the coaching staff all the, off the hook in the fourth quarter or that the play calling could have been a little more aggressive. Seven yeah. straight runs is a terrible look. I understand I understand the whole adage of they tried to say, well, you know, we ran those plays in the first half and they worked and they, they were set up to work. We missed the block. It's I get what you're saying, but it's still just a really bad look. You ran it seven straight times. I get what you were trying to do. The other time, before the half, you've got over a minute left You've got a quarterback that is hot, that is playing hot, and you don't try to go, go to a two-minute offense. I, I just – I don't get that. I, I do not get that. I think of Arkansas last year. South Carolina had a two-minute offense, drove down the field score right before halftime. If you remember that. Brian Edwards had a great catch in the end zone. I remember yeah. that so vividly because I was at that game. I just – I don't – why did we not see that? That confuses me. And that – you know, Will Muschamp at his presser today. I don't know why the media didn't ask him about that. I would have loved to know. I mean, what what is the thought process there? Why would you, why would you not operate your two minute offense there? And it, it felt like, it felt like South Carolina, and maybe this is coming from Will Muschamp. Once they got up, they were playing not to lose instead of playing to win. That that's really what it felt like. And when you do that, it's like Herm Edwards said: you play to win the game. That you yeah. play to win. You don't play to not lose. It's this. When you have a team like that down, like Florida down, you have to know – I mean, you, one more score and they're quitting. They're, they're pretty yeah. much just going to quit. I mean, they're going to lay over. You've got all the momentum in their house, in their house. I mean, it's just – the thing that makes it so disappointing to me, I, I mean, yeah, it was a crushing loss because the way it happened, but it's just a sense of you've only won in Gainesville twice in your history. Like, every win there is a big one, in my opinion. Yeah. Every time you can win there. And, I mean, here's the thing. In two years when South Carolina goes back to Florida, 
they're probably going to be a lot better. I mean, Dan Mullen's a good coach. They're going to get talent, and they're probably going to be a lot better than they are this year. So, you know, I think South Carolina should be too, probably will be too, but you just never know. So when's the next time South Carolina's going to get a win in Gainesville? I mean, they're just – they're so rare when you miss out on one. It's just such a damn shame when you're up 17 in their house. But the thing that kills me, Tom, South Carolina's done that two weeks in a row now. They blew big lead, a, a big lead against Ole Miss as well. So, I mean, luckily your offense was just able to bail you out I against mean, Ole Miss. The thing that gets me the most, and I think that upsets me, is that Bentley, you know, started out the year so slow, and it seems like our defense was really killing it to a point. And now the roles have almost reversed, and that Bentley the last, I would say – I would say since really the Texas A&M game in general, even though his first half against A&M, he had a couple of just bad plays. He's played his best football since A&M. He's been absolutely killing it every week, it seems like. And the defense just can't do anything to support him. I mean, obviously, Ole Miss is a different beast on offense. It would have been hard to keep them under 30 points. But, you know, that was a too close of a game, in my opinion. It should have never been that close to them. You go, you go down to Florida in the swamp, and you score 31 and don't win? When does that ever happen? I mean, like, how many teams have gone to the swamp and scored 30-plus and not won that game? I mean, in recent history, think about it. Because Florida's offense since Tebow has not really been that good. So, if you think about it, if you go to the swamp and score 30, you're going to win that game usually. And it just seems like this this stupid shit basically like this always happens to us. And I don't know what it is, but I just – it just disappoints me for Bentley because he's turned it around so much and he just – his team isn't – his defense, I would say, he just isn't performing the way that – they're not performing the level he is. Straight up, there's nothing else to it. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, too, that kills me is that, you know, people wanted to say, well, this is just classic must chant. This is the way he did at Florida. And correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I remember is that he was must champ at Florida and must champ sort of stigma is that he always has a great defense and has no quarterback and no offense, just cannot produce offense. That's not the case right now. I, I mean, that loss Saturday was not that way. I mean, you scored th- – we've, we've talked about Will Muschamp's record when his team scored 21 or more. It's insane. When his team scored 30 or more, I think his winning percentage is like 900. Like, it's crazy. So, I mean, that that is the – if there's one positive I can take away from Saturday is that I truly do feel like South Carolina has got the right guy at offensive coordinator with Brian McClendon and then Dan yeah. Werner helping him out. I I think a hundred play calling has really, I mean, again, you can say they went a little conservative at points, but there's never been a situation like last year or 2016 where you just sit there and think, what is up? Like this call makes no sense. I mean, the play call for the most part have been really, really, really good. I would say that that was Florida was probably one of his, I would say his best games other than Ole Miss. And they just dialed it up against them and Bentley having a great game held too. But Really, other than the second half against Michigan, I would say that was McClendon's one of his best games. And it really pleases me to see his improvement game after game. And the fact that he – I would assume he has full control of the offense. And I'm sure right. Muschamp has an input to a point. But, I mean, I like the way he calls the game. I like he, – he threads it. He's starting to thread the needle more with Bentley. And I like it a lot because it reminds yeah. me of the story your days. Yeah, and that just continue you know, continuing the, the positive I take away, you know, that, that's been the biggest thing is that Muschamp can never solve the the offense. And I think that – if that can be solved and Brian McClendon can be that guy and continue that. And I mean, Jake Bentley comes back next year. And again, for all the criticism we had, I mean, he's going to be South Carolina's best option. I mean, I don't think carry yeah. on Joyner is going to beat him out as much as, as much as I love Ryan Helinski, Ryan Helinski will push for playing time. Do not get it twisted, but you would expect, you would expect if, if Jake, if Jake Bentley can carry this momentum, 
going in his senior season. Maybe he's a guy that developed late. I don't know. Obviously, there's going to be a ton of pressure on him to do well. But either way, if you, you feel like you have some good momentum going on offense, Will Muschamp, I believe, is going to get his guys on defense. I mean, you have to yeah. think the defense is going to improve. I mean, I, think I guess you could say that's what's really frustrating, too, is that it's like this is supposed to be your bread and butter. I mean, this is supposed to be like your side of the ball. And, I mean – Well, I think <laughs> the injuries have hurt him. Just hurt no, I him agree. the most. Yeah. And obviously, I think that the linebacker recruiting has been very poor. And I think that the two guys this year they're bringing in, can't remember their exact names, but both are, you know, 6'1, six, 6'2, six, have really good speed. I know I've, one, of them, one of them plays at St. Thomas Aquinas, one of the best, I would say, high schools in the country that they kill it every year, it seems like. But I think that the defense is probably, is the secondary is a year away to me. And I think next year you're going to see a, a very, very good secondary, especially with Cam Smith coming in, a guy that I think is probably going to push for playing time automatically and probably end up being the starter in the nickel. But, um, I mean, I really just think that the secondary is a year away, and I think every other position group is about a year or two away. And I think, I think in two, I think Ryan Holinsky's probably redshirt freshman year, so it will be the 2020 season is going to be a very fun season to watch South Carolina play football. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, all right, let's move into uh, some of our biggest takeaways and game balls because we obviously broke this one down pretty, uh, uh, pretty deep. But uh, biggest takeaway from Saturday, I'll go ahead and start, Tom. My biggest takeaway from Saturday is that fair or unfair, injuries or not, this this defense is 2014 bad. I think we all remember the 2014 defense. South Carolina couldn't stop a lick, couldn't stop anybody. The defense, to me, has gotten to that point. Um, I'm very, again, not overlooking this week, but I'm very terrified at what Clemson's going to do to this South Carolina defense, just to be completely honest with you. Um, and this, is just, this just feels like a defense right now where – you know, South Carolina's going to have Clemson and then going to have a, uh, an opponent in the bowl game. You'd assume, let's just assume they're going to get the six wins, for the love of God, Chattanooga and Akron. But this just feels like a team where for me to feel comfortable about you're going to get a W, you've got to score at least 30 every time out. I mean, it just at this point, I know there's, again, there's only, four, what, there's only three games left in a bowl games, game, four games team. total. Um, I'm willing to assume we beat Chattanooga and Akron at yeah, least. I'm, let me, yeah, I'm going to assume seven and five, make so it, I'm hoping for Gator or Liberty Bowl. Those are my two hopes. And then get a decent opponent, have a big win, carry that momentum into next year is my dream. See, but, I was praying for the Belt Bowl because it's Charlotte. and it's really That would be nice. Down the street. But I, I don't think they put us there because we open in Charlotte next season against North Carolina. But, no, anyways, I just really feel like this is a team right now where I, I, I think South Carolina needs to score 30 to feel good about their chances to win. I mean, I'll be completely honest, just because the defense is, uh, reminds me of the 2014 squad. Tom, what's your biggest takeaway from the uh, the game? Uh, I mean, mine's pretty similar to the defense, and not the defense in general, but we need serious help at linebacker. If you're a linebacker in high school football and you're watching this, send your tape in to Muschamp right now if, you got, if you're any decent at all. T.J. Brunson is out there by himself fighting for his life every play, it seems oh, like. You got any, you got any uh, eligibility? I'll, shit, you can go play. I mean, I'm too – I would be – I would be worse than that saying something. But, <laughs> anyway, um, I just think that Brunson needs help. I mean, Damani Staley is obviously – I would think is going to be a good player probably, but he's a guy that's just like a lot of other guy, people on our defense a year away. And I think that Sherrod Green obviously was thrown into the fire to a point. I mean, playing linebacker in the SEC is not easy at all, I would think, especially with the spread offenses that many people today run. But he just – he's very off and on the way he plays. I mean, obviously he had that pick six against um, Missouri, and I think that helped his confidence a lot. And he played very well against Texas A&M. And, it just, and I, Tennessee he had a good game too. But I think since then, really against Ole Miss and Florida, it's, it's just gone downhill. I don't know what it is, but – 
they, they have to get some help fast at linebacker. And I, and I think that there's been some rumors going around that they might try to go after a, a graduate transfer or a JUCO and might be what they need, but um, I don't know. And plus, I think Eldridge Thompson has been out for the year, and that, that's hurt some. That's some of your depth there. But he's applying – I think I read today that – you might have actually tweeted off our account that he's applying for another year of eligibility. I mm, think he yep. – yeah, him and um, Nick Harvey, right? Yeah, Elders and Nick Harvey, yep. Yeah. Yep. That, that'd be big. I mean, obviously, I mean, it's just a guy that's played meaningful snaps and does have some size and can move around a little I mean, a guy bit. Who, yeah, I mean, if, if he plays – I mean, he has college football experience, and that's what matters, and that's what we need right now. Yeah, I mean, again, he's not like a All-American kind of caliber player, but he's at least solid. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd take him right now. That's for damn sure. Yeah. Um. All right, moving to some game balls, Tom. Who are you giving your game balls to? Uh, on offense, since you took away Bentley from me, and I was going to give it to him since I hate on him so much. But um, anyway, on offense, I'm going to go Debo Samuel. Obviously, I had a, a pretty decent game to me, other than that one kick return where he got kind of stuffed. But he had four receptions for 130 yards. He played probably one of his best games, a, a comeback game, considering he's been. I wouldn't say lacking in the last couple, but I think Brian Edwards has been overshadowing his game, overshadowing him maybe, at least against Ole Miss and Tennessee. He just had better games. But at four receptions for under 30 yards, can't complain about that. I almost had that – he almost took a slant route 100 yards. Now, it was like 95 beats for a touchdown. It was an 89 reception. But um, had a really good game from him. Uh, had those – had four returns for 78 yards. He almost broke two of them, I think. Like, he was one step away from breaking one, of, or one or two of them. I can't – remember specifically but he I just remember him playing really well big return too like he always does defensively I'm gonna go Jalen Diggerson I think he's one of the guys in our secondary him and RJ Roderick next year are probably going to be two pretty good players as long as they just get some more muscle on them he laid the wood on somebody I was listening to the radio whenever it happened I heard Todd Ellis go crazy about it and I, you know how Todd Ellis is just loves going what does he not somebody. go crazy about <laughs> yeah but so it could have not even been that good of a hit and I could be wrong there but I mean, he's progressing well. Obviously, I think he's getting a, he's getting better every game, getting that game experience in the SEC. And like I said, I think him and Roger are going to be really fun to watch next year. Yeah, no, I, I honestly can't recall the hit, so who knows? I mean, it may have just been Todd Ellis. I, you know, actually, I don't know. I kind of it's fuzzy. I, I don't know. Was it's it a screenplay? Maybe I think that's what somebody. I can't remember what he was saying. I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's a little fuzzy, but yeah, Debo Samuel, good pick there. He was one of our Gamecocks of the week. Um. My game balls, obviously, you, you already said mine on offense. Jake Bentley, just tip of the cap, man. He continues to play well, went on the road in a tough road environment, played very well. It's a shame because he deserved it. It's a shame because he deserved to get the win, and people are going to hold the this and this record against top 25 teams against him. And it's like in that – that's just – it's a justified thing, trust me. And the whole 1-10 versus top 25 under Will Muschamp, it's a justified thing. Do not get me wrong, but in that game Saturday, that Jake Bentley deserved to win that game. He played good enough to win. He played at an extremely high level, again, an all-SEC caliber level, and it's just a shame he, he that has to go on his record, to be perfectly honest. Um, and then defensively, yeah, I took uh, linebacker T.J. Brunson. Uh, huge game to him. I mean, he tried to will the defense to the win. I mean, there's really nothing else you can say about that. Um, you know, he tried his damnedest. So, you know, T.J. Brunson continually weakened – continuously week in and week out, um, continues to play well. And he's really, again, I've said it before, filling in the shoes that Sky Moore left. And it's going to be really exciting for him to return to his, for his senior season as well to be that guy because I think he's he can definitely be that guy for the South Carolina defense. Um, moving into Chattanooga week. Gamecocks host the Mocs, 730. SEC Network, thank God for the night kickoff, Tom. South Carolina has a home night game. 
Uh, not to finish the season. They rescheduled Akron for December the 1st, but a home night game, uh, the one we all wanted, obviously, finally getting the 7.30 kick in Williams-Brice. South Carolina opens this one. I had to really dig and search for a spread, Tom, because normally they don't, they don't release spreads for FCS games or FCS opponents. Gamecocks open as a 31-point favorite, over-under set at 48-and-a-half. Um, these two teams have never met. Chattanooga enters 6-4, and 4-4 four, four and four overall in the SOCON. Um, again, the mocks of the Southern Conference. Um, so, you know, Tom, just, just let's just be completely honest about this. This game, to me, is it's not really about Chattanooga. To me, it's more so about South Carolina and how do they respond and how they bounce back. Because South Carolina's got better players than Chattanooga. They got much, much better players than Chattanooga. I mean, for God's sakes, they're a 31-point favorite. I mean, it's, it, that is, that's not a lie. You know what I mean? Um, this, to me, just comes down. Can South Carolina rebound from a tough loss against Florida? Because, you know, today at the presser, I mean, you could definitely tell it was still lingering a little bit. I mean, that's, you know, when you're a competitor, I can definitely understand. When you're a competitor, that's something that's going to hang with you for a little bit. But can South Carolina really come out, establish its dominance, punch Chattanooga in the mouth? Because if they can, and, and I think they will, I really do, but if they can, this should be a game that isn't even close at halftime. We should see some younger guys like the carry-on joiner or some – maybe, hell, maybe even like a Deshaun Fenwick at running back. We should see a lot of Josh Van. Michael Skarnecki obviously should get in. Maybe some young guys on defense, although I feel like we've played pretty much all the young guys because of lack of depth and injuries. Um, but, yeah, Tom, I, I just really think with Chattanooga, obviously, I mean, we, we don't have a ton of a scouting report on them, but – this is a game to me that's way more about South Carolina and how they come out the gates and how they respond from a tough loss. Yeah, I mean, come out and punch them in the mouth and blow them out and have some confidence going into Clemson. Because if you let them hang around, then you're just going to be in a very low state of mind going into that Clemson game, and that's the last thing you need to happen. Yeah, and I mean, again, I'm not trying to look ahead to Clemson week because, I mean, there. Are, listen, there are a lot of people that are. I mean, that, that kickoff time was announced, 7 p.m., R.I.P., um, <laughs> um, yeah, but anyway, 7 p.m. in Death Valley, the kickoff time was announced. There's a lot of people that are looking ahead, talking about that game, talking about that matchup, and I don't want to do that. I'm actually – so here's the thing, Tom. My take on this game, I'm actually extremely excited for this game. And the reason I'm extremely excited is because I just can't wait. I think the best thing for South Carolina after a loss like Florida and between, you know, between a loss like Florida and – a game like Clemson that's coming up that we all kind of have our opinions on what's going to happen in it. I just can't wait to see South Carolina go out and just physically dominate somebody and just whip somebody's ass. I mean, that, that, cause I think that's what's going to happen. Now it'll be a miserable, miserable night and a miserable game. If South Carolina comes out sluggish and God forbid, let's. Yeah. Everyone's going to lose their absolute crap. If oh my God. Out, like 50 points. But you know what the weird thing is too? South Carolina lost to the Citadel and then held number one Clemson to five points. I mean, insane. Like, when you think back to that. Wait, what? In 2015. 2015. When South Carolina lost to Citadel, that was the week before Clemson. Oh, we lost to Clemson by five points. Yeah, yeah, held Clemson within five points. points, And I was like, oh, no, no, no. no. Held held to within five points. No, 37-32 was fine. I remember because I was at that game. And, I mean, it was a – you know, I, that was just a crazy game. I mean, the week after the Citadel, you're thinking we're going to lose by 100. But, you know, anyways, this is just a game I'm really excited about because I just feel like South Carolina has the ability right here to get on track. And I, I just – I'm personally going to soak it in. I mean, let's just beat the shit out of somebody, take it out on somebody else, take out all our frustration. I mean, we've got the guys on offense. The spread is 31. 
We have the guys on offense. I realistically think to be up thirty-one nothing at half. What did you said? I, the over/under was forty-eight. Forty-eight and a half. Yeah. I would take I mean, the over every day of the week. I I mean I know the defense has been terrible, but Chad. I mean it's an FCS team. No, I mean I'm saying we score like forty something, and I think they get like right, 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 fourteen or twenty at the most. Right. No, no, no. I got you. I got you. Yeah, and we're we're gonna get to predictions in a second because I, I tend to agree with you there, but um. I mean, yeah, as far as breaking this one down, Tom, I mean, I think from the Chattanooga side, there's not like a ton to break down there. Um, yeah. They're not very good offensively. They've apparently been really good uh, forcing turnovers, so that will be something to see. And I'll say it again, can South Carolina finally have a game, even if it's against Chattanooga, can South Carolina finally have that game where they force three or four turnovers and take advantage and just start to pile it on? I mean, I just don't – I mean, is this, this going to be the week – is this going to be the week where J.C. Horn finally gets his first career interception? So, dude, that's one thing. It, it's insane that J.C. Horn doesn't have a pick yet as good as he's played. That It's hard to believe. He's honestly. had some one-handers that he's almost pulled in like two oh, or yeah. three times. Oh, no, no, absolutely. No, trust me. I've seen I've seen them all. I mean, yeah, he's had some really, really close calls. But I just wonder. I mean, I, again, I know South Carolina, but you have to think. South Carolina's freshmen right now on their team, could easily, easily go start Chattanooga and be the best players. There's yeah. no doubt in my mind. So, I mean, can this finally be the game? And, I mean, the other thing, too, how's Chattanooga going to block Javon Kinlaw? My God. Yeah. I mean, I don't – I haven't looked at their big difference line. In, like, Chattanooga's O-line and the O-line that Florida or any other SEC school puts on the field. They're going to have a fun time blocking number three. Well, number three and I don't even have the roster pulled up, but I can tell you this about the line of scrimmage. And you probably know this, Tom, but guys that play at the FCS level, it's not that they're bad players, but to play at the D1 level, you've got to be like 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, you can't just be big. You've got to be tall as hell, long as hell. These guys at the FCS level, they're not like terrible players, but it's just hard to make a living as an offensive lineman when you're 6'1". Six, there's a very there's a visible difference between oh yeah linemen and the SEC and linemen in like – the Southern Conference. It, it, oh, it's yeah. Just, it's just a really big – I mean, you're going to see – I would say South Carolina's deep offensive line average is 6'4", 6'5", 330, 340, and I would think that Chattanooga's line average is probably 6'2", 6'2 310. I mean, that Com- – Complete guesswork, by the way, but good good coverage. <laughs> I mean, I'm just thinking off the top no, of my head. You're like, right. No, I'm just, I'm just screwing with you. No, you're right. You're right. But, no, yeah, it's – it's going to be two different type of athlete on the field Saturday night for both teams. It's just going to be two different types. They don't recruit the same type of players. It's going to yeah. be, you know, it's going to be two different types of athlete. And this, this to me, again, not looking forward to next week, but we can look forward to next week because we're not playing the game. Um, you obviously only hope that our, you know, South Carolina's players aren't looking ahead. But as fans, we can all look ahead, obviously, and say, I say that this is just a huge game in the sense of using this as a catapult to go into rivalry week with just some sort of confidence. I mean, Again, I think South Carolina could go out there and beat Chattanooga's 80 to nothing. And I don't think that would give anybody any more confidence about Clemson. I just really don't. I mean, at this point, from what's happened the past, what, two, three years, four years, whatever, or two, really two years, I don't think any type of win is going to give – you know, over Chattanooga is going to give South Carolina fans confidence to beat Clemson. But I can tell you this, if you play like shit against Chattanooga, there definitely ain't going to be no confidence at all. And it's going to be a lot of negativity. And that's just the last thing this team needs. So I think they will bounce back. Um, and I just think, again, it's just two different type of athletes. This game should be an absolute blowout. 
Um, yeah. Let's talk about some key matchups. I don't know if you have one, Tom. I've got yeah, one. It's pretty, it's pretty generic, but my key matchup to watch is just going to simply be, we talked about the line of scrimmage. South Carolina's offensive line against Chattanooga's defensive line. This is a, one of those. This is one of those games to me that's very similar to Coastal in the sense that I expect South Carolina to come out and really try to establish the run. Again, I don't know if uh, from Will Muschamp, from what I heard, I mean, it sounds like Rico Dowdle's healthy. He didn't really say anything about it. We'll have to kind of wait and see. And then I think they're hoping to get Tyson Williams back. But either way, I mean, put AJ Turner back there. I, South Carolina to me should be able to run wild in this game. I mean, I. You know, Jake Bentley's going to have his yards, and he should play well as well. But to me, you should really be able to just gash Chattanooga and wear them down and open things up in the passing game. Do what now? So, I said we should run for 250-plus easy. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, and that's what I'm saying. It reminds me it should be a lot like a coastal game. That's pretty much what you did in coastal. I think they ran for 236. I don't know why that number's coming to my head. Maybe it was like right around 250. I mean, Dowdle hit over 100, which is pretty good. Right. It was – yeah, I think Dowdle had like 140 or something. but Yeah, 105. Yeah, 140 against Tennessee. Gotcha. Okay. But, yeah, it was almost 250. It was over 200 yards. I mean, I just think this this should be another game where your offensive line, you know, Zach Bailey obviously on senior night, um, Dennis Daly on senior night. You know, obviously, the, 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 you know, maybe Donnell Stanley's last game is – or not last game at Willie B because they play Akron, but maybe Donnell Stanley's senior night. He's actually walking with the seniors. Um, he's going to make his decision after the bowl game. I, You know, I think we're all very hopeful he decides to come back, but um, whatever. You know, something on that, Chris, is that I read an article in Bleacher Report today that had Dennis Daly is like the number four offensive tackle in the draft. I was like, I did not expect that. Well, I mean, he's like – the O-line has played fantastic this yeah, year. Yeah, I mean, they've had a really good year, but, I mean, that's just – I mean, that was really shocking to me. And then yeah. the thing is, in the same article by Bleacher Report, Zach Bailey wasn't ranked as a top ten offensive guard. And I was like, okay, this yeah, dude hard to believe. doesn't know what he's talking about or he really knows what he's talking about, and I have no idea. The The only thing I could say, maybe the reason for that, is I bet – I bet there aren't as – maybe I, this could be completely – this is no research. This could be completely wrong, but – I feel like for some reason there maybe aren't as many good tackles as there are guards. I I, I don't know. Am I wrong? I mean, I could be I mean, a lot of like there. right tackles that probably aren't probably shouldn't be playing tackling college, but they just don't have any other options. Like Quentin Nelson, he shifted to guard for the Colts, and he's been just an absolute monster. He was the first offensive lineman ever to win offensive rookie of the month. Like, of, of course, you brought up Quentin Nelson because that video. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's a, <laughs> all over ball. the internet. <laughs> <laughs> psycho um yeah but yeah no you, you make a good point there but no anyways I just think the line of scrimmage South Carolina should be able to dominate there uh Tom what's your uh what's your key matchup for the weekend I mean mine's gonna be and I and I like the way Sherrod Green plays sometimes but I just need more consistency it's gonna be Sherrod Green versus uh running back Tyrell Price for Chattanooga he needs a bounce back game before we go play Clemson and he has to cover Travis Etienne out the backfield and he's gonna have his hands full doing that all the time He has to get some confidence going into the Clemson game so we can have maybe keep it, you know, reasonable there. The the price kid for Chattanooga has led them in rushing in eight out of their ten games. He's only averaging 3.6 a carry, but he's kind of, you know, six foot, 220, he's a bruising back, nine touchdowns on the year. I think if you stop him and limit him early, I think we'll blow them out in the the water to start with. Yeah, no, and I 100% agree, but I was just going to say, God, I just don't even – I don't even want to think about Sherrod Green covering Travis Etienne. I don't even want to think about that. Somebody, I heard somebody say to live in the dream one nightmare at a time. That that reminds me of that. Did you yep. see my tweet? Uh, I, somebody tweeted, um, 
I tweeted this. I tweeted a joke that Clemson was going to beat us by 50. I don't really think they're going to do that. I hope not, at least. And I said Travis Etienne is going to be a Heisman candidate after that game. And I just thought that was hilarious that so many people got like so pissed that I, I mean, tweeted that. No offense, but like how many how many backs has South Carolina made like Heisman candidates? It's a pretty good bit. I mean, I think look, uh, look at Saturday. Look at Jordan Scarlett. Yeah, look Scarlett at ran over Dickerson like thirty. Great. Yeah, yeah I mean, he ran over R.J. Roderick. That's who he ran over, my bad. But yeah. Just abused him. Right. No, dude, oh, my God. Did you see the stiff arm that got put on Keyshawn Nixon? Holy hell. I think I missed that Woo. one. I, I'm the you best remember, at missing, like, remember, half of afternoon. You remember uh, Jemias Williams' stiff arm against Tennessee last season? Yeah. It was worse. It was much nice. worse. Yeah, it was, like, straight up just child please put in the ground i mean it i was, think i saw a picture of it but i didn't see the actual play no. yeah i mean it was literally Keyshawn nixon ran up from his his corner spot to make the tackle and the dude just he's like nah you're not you know, no, not today um okay biggest key to the game tom what you got uh i'm just gonna go out and say that you can't have a florida hangover you got to come out and stomp them in the stomp them in the head early get confidence for that clemson game even if you know you're playing chattanooga i understand that don't let them hang around and just kill your confidence for that. I mean, Uncle Mo has a lot. I think you get some ex- extra, you know, mojo on your side if you're feeling good going into the Clemson game and not feeling like, hey, we just beat Chattanooga by like a game-winning field goal. We're going to go in and get our brains beat out by Clemson in a night game, and it's going to be a repeat of 56-7. I don't think it's going to be anywhere near that score. I don't say near. I don't think it's going to be anywhere near as bad as that score, as bad as an effort game-wise I don't at all. But you just got to come out and punch, punch them in the mouth early, in my opinion. Yeah, well, you just took mine. So, uh, you know, my biggest key to the game was definitely flush the Florida game. But other than that, I mean, just play with confidence. Yeah, I mean, play. It, you know, it, it all kind of cir- it all kind of centers around that because I think if I think if they can flush that game, there's just there's nothing else standing in your way. I mean, you know, it, there's nothing standing us away from hitting a huge win. Um, I mean, I guess my other key, I w- one of my other biggest keys, I would say, is just. Put it away early. Don't let Chattanooga hang yeah. around. The only times when these games become close is when the better team lets the you know the the lesser team hang around until the third quarter. And the longer you let a team like that hang around, the the more they start to believe they can actually compete and even possibly win. So just put punch them in the mouth early. Put it away early. I mean this this is a game that should be over at halftime, in my personal opinion. So um, just take care of your business and all be fine. Um, we'll move into the predictions, Tom. I feel like I always make you start first. I'm going to go ahead and start first with my prediction. Um, pretty much short and sweet. I think South Carolina gets a big-time win on Saturday night. I just – I don't see this being a close game. Um, I've got somewhere in the score of 41-10 to 10 Carolina. I realistically think South Carolina could score 50, but I think they'll try to run the football. And I think the defense, again, playing Chattanooga will have a bounce-back game for sure. And, you know, South Carolina will be right at the number in the spread by thir- uh, 31. But I think 41 to 10 is a pretty good score, and I, that's what I've got them at. And I think it'll at least give South Carolina, maybe the team, a boost in confidence moving into uh, into Clemson week. I mean, you basically summed it up. I, I think they come out early, and I think they take out their frustration that they have for, from the Florida game out on Chattanooga and just – I, I won't say beat the crap out of them, but I would say have a three or four touchdown lead at halftime. Maybe hold them to seven points if you can. Make the defense have some get some get some. I mean, get some confidence back in the defense. Overall, as a final score, I'd probably go forty-five twenty-one. Just because I think that we're gonna pull all of our players going into the fourth quarter, just so 
they make sure they don't get injured for the Clemson game. So we have all hands on deck as we can. I mean, as much hands on deck as we can. Yeah. We can't afford any injuries this game whatsoever. Yeah. No. So uh, I think cool prop bet, if there was a prop bet for this one, do you think DeCaron Joyner sees the field this weekend? Uh, no, because it is senior night, and I hope they play Michael Skarnakia if they play any backup quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, no, I agree with you. Trust me. I mean, I, I definitely I definitely want to see Scar get back they're out there. They're saving DeCaron Joyner for a wildcat formation to run against Clemson is what they're doing. Oh, my God. Should throw it out there. No, he's just, gonna, he's just he's just going to start. Yeah, that would be the craziest starting quarterback to carry on Joiner. <laughs> They've been gearing him up. He's been studying Clemson film all season. He it's hasn't like watched what he did. That's film. just always dedicated to. That'd be hilarious. I'm That's not it. Sure. He's he's the Clemson killer. That's it. To carry on Joiner. <laughs> if he did though, to carry on for Heisman. Oh my God, to carry on. He wouldn't have to pay for another drinking five points ever again. That's for damn sure. We, we'd, we'd be sure of it. I don't know if that's a recruiting violation when you say that, but I'm not a booster, so I don't really give a shit. Um, all right, let me go. Let's get some listener questions here because we had some good ones. Heard some um, – a couple of my buddies called in. Can't wait for these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to get – we're going to do the, the Instagram questions first, and then we'll get to the – we'll get to the voicemails. We had – we definitely had some very interesting voicemails right after the loss, so I really appreciate it because those I, – I got a couple good laughs listening to a couple of those. All right, let's see. Um, I'll start answering the questions, Tom. Alply Bond three twenty five says, "Is Jake Minley going to start next year with the freshman Ryan coming in?" Referring to Ryan Helinski, a hundred percent yes. <clears throat> Jake Bentley will start. Um, I definitely think, and you know what? I say definitely. I don't. I almost don't want to say that just because of the simple fact that I definitely thought to carry on Joiner would see one snap by this point. So. I think if Jake Bentley's playing well, um, I don't know how much he'll play. But uh, just to get to the question, 100% Jake Bentley's going to be your starter next year. He's not going to the NFL. He's going to be a senior. And, again, if he can continue the way he's playing and play well and finish the season off on a high note, he there's no question. He, there's just the only abs- way he gets pulled is if he just absolutely, like, just plays terrible those first couple of games. And we start out, like, two and three or something I'll say this I'll say this if he has a start similar to this season you're going I think you're definitely going to see Helensky I just yeah, they're going to be more willing no to put him for Helensky than they were for yeah. Skarnikia or Joyner um let's see spin here's a good one for you Tom spin underscore Jordan do we hold Clemson under 28 points <laughs> uh <laughs> is oh, the defense God. from 2011 gonna play if so yes if not no chance. Yeah, no, nah, I got you. Uh, DC.1021 says, Gator Bowl still an option, or are we looking at Liberty Bowl? I'm honestly not a bowl expert. I would probably no. say both. Um, I would say Liberty, Belk, and Gator are like the three. They're pretty much lined up. Yeah, I mean, I think I've seen a lot of projections for Liberty, but, I mean, at this point, really, who knows? I mean, you've got to finish this. You know, realistically, South Carolina's probably going to finish 7-5, and five, and from there, it's, it's a crapshoot at that point when you're 7-5. and five. Yeah. Just please, dear God, no Birmingham. Yeah, not Birmingham and not uh, Music City. Please don't torture the South Carolina fan base any more than they already have been by sending the Birmingham. Um, here we go. Clay Gillis. Yeah, Clay Gillis says, do you think we have a shot to win the East next year, Tom? Uh, no, because we play at Georgia and we have Alabama at home, and I'm, I'm willing just to go ahead and chalk those up as losses, and that's two, and Georgia probably – 
realistically is only going to have one. Maybe I don't I don't see them losing more than one SEC game next year with Fromm being coming back, and they're not really losing a whole lot. So I don't really no, I don't. Is there a chance that it can happen? Yeah, but it'll, it'll take a lot to go our way. Yeah, no, I, I and Jake, I think Jake Bentley had to play like Heisman caliber out of his mind. Well, my thing is, and I, this is something I was thinking about today. Earlier, I was talking to uh, to um Austin Sylvie, a guy we used to work with in armchair, and he left right before we uh, decided to pull out. But um, so I think uh, Todd McShay had Jake Bentley as like his third rated quarterback for the draft coming in this year, and I think after the Georgia game, everybody realized, hey, no, basically about him being a, a quarterback to get drafted this year. But you know, if he comes out next year and wins eight or nine games. I think you got to consider him a top three or four round draft pick. I mean, that schedule next year is brutal. And if he pulls off nine wins, I think, and it plays pretty well, I would say, you know, keep, maybe cuts his interceptions in half and, you know, goes up a little bit more in touchdowns than he has been this year. I mean, maybe he's a guy that could get some talk about going early in the draft. I mean, really. I mean, he's a guy that's got all the arm talent. It's just all about with him. I think it's what's between the ears. So, yeah, if he can yeah. – you know, pull out, pull off some wins and just show that he's got it mentally. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing for him. Um, last of the Instagram questions, Alex Bryant underscore Clinton says, how will the run game have to go for Carolina to effectively use it against Clemson? Um, if I understand the question correctly, the run game, I mean, how will the run game have to go for Carolina to use it? I mean, I think he's asking to, how, who's like, how are we going to, run the ball effectively against them maybe I, well, I I'll, say, I'll, I'll answer it both ways that I think it's asked one one the run game will just have to go period you're gonna have to block well um and for two South Carolina 100% would have to run the ball effectively to beat Clemson I think South Carolina had to run for 150 plus to even have a chance yeah. and I don't know if you've seen Clemson's D-line but I don't know that yeah I mean I just think it's it's <sighs> It would be very tough for us to run for over 115 yards against them. They're, I mean, it's not yeah. that we're that bad of a running team, because I think at, at times this year we've had very good ground ground attack. But Clemson's D line is just surreal. You're not going to block. Uh, you're not going to block all four of those guys. They got down every play. It's just it just almost is impossible. And obviously, we have a very good O line to match up with them. But it, I think this is a game that just is we're just overmatched talent wise, and I think that's going to hurt us a lot. Yeah, it's funny all the Clemson questions we're getting. It's like, hey, we have Chattanooga Saturday. So yeah. I literally yeah. saw a tweet, one of our good friends, Taylor Dively. I think you probably all yeah, listen. I saw, I saw the little uh, back and He forth literally that. tweeted about the Clemson game, not realizing there was a game this weekend. So I, it's just, that's yeah, funny. All right, cool. Let's get in these voicemails. Um, for, the one thing I'll say, appreciate everybody leaving the voicemails. If you could keep it a minute or less, that would be great. I'm going to play this one anyways. It's, it's two minutes and 17 seconds, but if you could keep it to a minute or less, because once it gets past a minute, it's kind of dragging out. So yeah. I understand. Again, I pre- I don't want to discourage anybody from calling in, but just try to keep it in the in the minute range. So we'll go ahead and get this thing rolling. Yeah, Jordan Strange here from the Upstate. Uh, calling my comments after Florida loss, pretty tough. Wondering, uh, wondering with Carolina fan base and. Everybody associated with the program is going to start questioning, you know, as much champ a guy that can can take a team and go win a game. Um, game you're not supposed to win necessarily or or what have you. Pretty tough. He pretty much coached his way to a loss. Is that it? I think, no, I think we lost him there. Uh, well, um, I mean, I can address that if you want me to. Well, let's see. This completely just goes anemic on yeah, offense. Yeah. Takes foot off the gas, so to speak, to 
you know, pun intended with his all gas, no brakes. It's, it's pretty, uh, pretty eye opening for me seeing that, you know, no matter what the reason is, ill preparation like Kentucky, you know, self inflicted, just, you know, whatever it's been, self inflicted plays, lack of execution, injuries, whatever the pattern is the same at Florida as it is in South Carolina. Guys simply can't beat his rivals. Guys can't, guy can't, uh, beat ranked teams, you know? So it, there's enough for me out there to see enough evidence from so many different reasons why we've lost games against good opponents that, uh, you got to start looking at that guy and say, Hey, you know, maybe he's a good face of the program. Maybe he's a great recruiter. Maybe he can run a clean, clean program and garner the respect of you know, his peers and, and players and stuff like that. But the guy simply can't, can't go and, and win big games. And, uh, he's a seven, seven win a year kind of coach. And, you know, I think he probably needs to be a, uh, elite coordinator. I think that's his role. I just don't think he's, he's a guy. Well, that being said, he's, if he's not the guy, then he should, he will probably leave South Carolina in a better position than he found it. Um, but his leash has got to be getting shorter. His seat's got to be getting hotter. That's just it. That's it. I hope to get back from you guys. All right, Jordan, appreciate the voicemail. That was a very – I must say, Tom, that was a very well-formulated, very well-thought-out voicemail. I actually very much appreciate that call um, and appreciate that voicemail. I don't mean to cut you off, Tom, because I know you had some stuff to say, but just really quickly – um, again, all of the points, Jordan, that you bring up are very, very, very legitimate. Um, Will Muschamp has his shortcomings. He had them at Florida. There's a very disturbing trend at South Carolina right now. Um, he's 1-10 against top 25 teams. And you say he is, not his team, because at the end of the day, it all falls back on him. Again, fair or unfair, same as the quarterback situation. He's going to get all the credit when they do well, and he deserves to get all the blame when they don't. Um, I'm not ready to jump off the Muschamp bandwagon quite yet because I want to see – and I said this on Saturday on social media. I just think – you know, and I think fans are maybe saying this more so out of emotion than they really mean it because I think most people realize firing a coach after year three is just so counterproductive for your program. It makes absolutely no sense. Um, it does nothing positive for you. There's no positives that come out of that. Um, and, and I think fans, the timetable that fans should give is, I think South Carolina fans should see out, you know, again, we're all assuming Ryan Holinsky is going to be the guy. And that's, you know, I can even admit as much as I love the kid and, you know, love what the possibility he brings. That's a scary thing when you're investing that kind of, you're putting that much stock in a high school kid. We don't, we have yeah. no clue. I mean, he may get injured and never play a snap, God forbid knock on wood that doesn't happen, but that's just real life. That's sports. Um, but I think fans, I think see out the Ryan Holinsky era, let Will Muschamp get his recruits in. Cause I like what Will Muschamp's doing on the recruiting trail right now. He's bringing in elite level talent. Let him get a, you know, let's see what Will Muschamp can do with a blue chip, you know, top tier quarterback and his guys on defense. And if that era passes and South Carolina does not win the East once, I'd say if they don't win the East, it's time to move on. I think you've seen all you need to see at that point. And definitely that it will, the, the 
Will Muschamp era will unfold and sort of make the decision for itself. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I agree with some people that said, you know, South Carolina is staring eight and four dead in the face for even a best case scenario just because the schedule is so brutal. I mean, you go eight and four next year. It, let's say you go six and six next year and then go six and six in 2020. I'll be honest, it, it, he's going to be on the hot seat. I mean, there yeah. is no question because, you know, I heard it best from one of, uh, one of, the, uh, one of the radio guys today. The, the honeymoon or the, the rebuild or the beginning of the Will Muschamp era is officially over. I mean, the, the loss, there's really no excuse anymore. You know, you, Will Muschamp was gave a pass in 2016, obviously, coming off a three and nine year. And then even was gave a pass a little bit last year and even early into this year, maybe. But it's starting to get to the point, Tom, where, the, again, that honeymoon is over. I mean, it's time to win. You know, and, and it's just South Carolina, there's no excuse than to lose games like they lost on Saturday the way they lost them. And, again, Jordan, I appreciate the voicemail because you hit on a ton of great points, and you hit on a ton of points that I can't really necessarily argue them. And, I mean, I've said the exact same points you're making. I'm just for some reason right now I am – and, again, I'm not a guy that shows a ton of patience. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't show a, a real lot of patience at all and stuff like this. But right now I just feel like South Carolina fans need to find a way Find a way, and I know it's tough because Georgia is so good, and Clemson, my God, look what they're doing. It's hard when your two biggest rivals are having the success there. Trust me. Yeah. I hate Georgia, and I can't stand Clemson. I know. But you just, fans have just got to find a way right now, in my opinion, to be patient. and Just give this, give this man a chance. Give him, give him some time. Let him build. Again, let's just see what happens. But I agree. There's some disturbing trends being built right now, and it's up to Will Muschamp, and the staff he assembles are turned around. I mean, can I just address a few points? Yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, my biggest complaint with all of what he said is that, you know, he's not on the Muschamp train anymore. I don't know if he specifically said he wanted him fired or anything like that, but let's say you, you fire Muschamp at the end of the season if he if he goes six and six somehow, maybe he loses one of those games and we go to a bowl game and lose. Say you fire him, who are you going to hire? Who's up next? Because I don't know any coaches or any D coordinators right now or offense coordinators right now that really are just dying to come to South Carolina. I mean – Let's be honest, the program before Spurrier had a year or two, they were good every couple of five or six years. We all had a good, good year here and there. But, I mean, really, South Carolina's football program has not been that great. And I think Spurrier spoiled South Carolina fans to a bit, and I'm a part of that, in that we expected to be 11, win 10 more games every year. And, you know, once that started to happen to us, we, were just, we never had that feeling before we expected it to stay that way. And obviously it didn't spur your drop off on recruiting. And that's why I think I have a big appreciation for Muschamp is because, you know, maybe he's not the, the greatest exes in those guys on offense. And I know he knows the game of football very well defensively. And I think that once he starts to get more depth, you're going to really see his defenses start to come out and play. But I mean, like, I just appreciate what he does so much. And I think that, I think he's a player's coach to a point. And I think that all the players love him. And I mean, you can see how many players come to bat for him whenever uh, whenever there were so many different guys on so many NFL commentators like Bucky Brooks coming after him, and you had former players like coming to bat for him. I mean, who, why wouldn't you want a guy like that? And sure, you know, I think he overachieved his first two years, and South Carolina fans, including me, I was a big one that said, I think this year's the year to win. You know, we have a chance to win the East and, you know, win nine or 10 games maybe. But I think he really overachieved that first year and won six, he won six games with his roster that was, should have won three, basically. Terrible. And Terrible. then, he won nine games last year with a roster that really probably should have won about six. And, you know, if Debo doesn't go out, maybe you, you actually you actually win some more games that you, that you lost. But 
I mean, he's overachieved those first two years. He won, I think, six out of our nine games last year, like I said earlier, were by one score or a one-score ball game, and he pulled those out. And this year we've lost two of them. And, I mean, that kind of hurts you when you – if you flip those two around, I mean, we're – I think we're seven and – we're seven and two right now, I think, if I can count. Oh, yeah, we're yeah. Seven, yeah, we're seven and two right now. So, I mean, I, and, I, and the injuries on defense have hurt so much, and I just – I just – I don't know. I'm not on the fire champ train yet. I think next year will be – if he ends up going maybe, like you said, six and six next year, I think some people are going to be, you know, pretty uneasy with him. And then I think 2020 will be a year that probably decides his fate the most. If he ends up next year somehow pulling out nine and three or eight and four, I think that they need to sign him to an extension automatically. But Yeah, I mean, I just, the one – no, yeah, the one thing I was going to say too is I had somebody text me basically saying that South Carolina is stuck in mediocrity, you know, and they, they define mediocrity as eight and four. Um, yeah, that's like – The thing I would say to that is, I mean, you think about this. For, in South Carolina won nine games last year with their bowl win. They've done that seven times in the history of the school. Like playing football for listen, over 100 years. I'm as much as someone who says, if you're not playing to win a championship, a national championship, an SEC championship, why are you even in the game? Yeah. But, I mean, you're, you're lying if you're a South Carolina fan that says, well, I'm not happy with nine and three. Yeah, like our like our program is I that would take story. Ten straight nine and three seasons. I really would, just because at that point, yeah, you're not winning the title, but your program is becoming such a level of consistent that you're going to be able to get those five star recruits because you're only a player or two away at that point. Yeah, and then also the whole fire Muschamp thing. I think it's funny, Tom. I forgot to mention this. Do you realize Will Muschamp is about to have the best record by any USC head coach after three years, even better than Steve Spurrier? So, I mean, how could you fire that guy? He has – he's going – Will Muschamp, if they give him time, is probably going to be the winningest coach ever be at South Carolina. Oh, yeah. It's not – I think he'll blow, he'll blow Spurrier's record out of the water. Which is great. Which is crazy. And, it again, like you said, it just speaks to – it sucks to say, but it speaks to the lack of tradition South Carolina has. Yeah. But, I mean, how in the world can – I understand the games they've lost, but how in the world can anybody justify firing a coach that – I mean, seriously, I think even if they finish seven and six, he's going to have the record for the best win-loss record after three seasons as South Carolina's head coach. I mean, I mean it's absurd. It's honestly absurd when you think about it. But anyways, appreciate you calling in, Jordan. Really good voicemail. We're going to continue on with these voicemails. This is it. This is what I've been saying all year. We have to be way better than a team in order to win. You know, teams with comparable talent tires like texas a&m like florida we can't pull away from and it's not even necessarily the fact that you know we are overly conservative which we clearly are but it's what's disheartening is the fact that we can't pick up on game trends clearly you can't go conservative in games like this where neither defense is doing much to slow the other team down uh I'm not going to give a very nuanced take here, but Muschamp went too conservative too quickly. We're not good enough to run the ball down the other team's throat with seven run plays in a row with Mondenson. That's not our game. Jake Bentley was playing well, and we put his, we put the handcuffs on him. Not much else to say. Everyone out there knows what went wrong. 
There you go. You can tell which one of these were right after the game if people call it, by the way. But um, I can I take mean, Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. You know, you uh, take I mean, I think that that's something definitely I agree with is that they took – the Bailey was playing the best game, one of the best games of his career, and they just took the ball out of his hands. And I don't know if it's the RPOs and maybe he just was giving it more than he was taking it. And, I, and that could really be true. But I think if he's playing that well, you got to put the ball in his hands more and just let him go back and throw it. But, um – just the conservative thing, I'm just not on board with they went too conservative. I, I mean, you, it seems like to me if you have a 17-point lead in the swamp, you're like, yeah, we're going to win this. Like, it's not not even a question at that point. I, I, I don't know. I mean, there are different things that contributed to that loss, but I just don't think that the defense – the defense is definitely responsible, but I don't think that the offense is nearly as equally as responsible for losing that game as the defense is. Right. I'm on both sides of it from what he's saying. It's a really good voicemail. We appreciate it. Yeah. Um, I'm on both. I'm on both sides, just in the sense that yes, I blame the defense because, like you're saying, anytime you have a three-score lead with a quarter and a quarter and change left, you should win. But I also say, I mean, he makes a good point that I don't think South Carolina is good enough to just run it down somebody's throat and milk clock. Um, and I think, as a coaching staff, as an offensive coaching staff, you definitely have to see the game trend. Is that you have to see that, okay, we're probably not going to get another stop this game. So we need one more score. Like, I didn't feel – I will say I didn't feel that sense of urgency to go get one more score. And that, again, that was the one more score that would have iced the game. So I'm on both sides of the fence. I think it's a collective effort. I'm not going to put all the blame on one side of it, but I definitely think there's some good points made there because I think there's multiple, uh, yeah. multiple sides you can blame. All right. Hey, guys. My name is Cole. And I just watched that game, and I'm distraught, and I'm embarrassed. But really what happened this weekend was probably the worst weekend of Gamecock history. You know, we, we lose to Tony Brook uh, Friday. We played completely terrible in basketball. And then today we give up that lead. Uh, play calling was absolutely horrible. Um, just wanted to ask, what uh, – Oh, crap. My bad. Sorry about that, guys. Out of your recollection, what is really the worst uh, weekend you've had as a Gamecock fan when it comes to multiple sports? And also, um, do you think the best future for uh, Bill Muskan when it comes to this season? Because, I mean, it's, it's crazy to think uh, last year after the Outback Bowl, we said we're going to win that championship with this team. And <laughs> it's it's now kind of a laughing joke now because y'all know that that's definitely not going to happen. Thanks. All right. Appreciate the voicemail. Very interesting question. So he's asking, Tom, what is the worst weekend of games or worst weekend I think as a Gamecock fan you've ever had? Um, I mean, he's saying that this is the worst weekend, which – I don't – okay, it's I not. Mean, I don't care huh. what anyone says. At least we didn't get – I mean, it's not like we lost – I mean, losing to Stony Brook in basketball sucks. I'm not going to deny that. That was right, embarrassing. Right, right. But it's not like we went to Florida and got beat, like, 40 to 10. Like, I don't know. At least they were competitive against the top 25 team. I, I think my worst weekend as a Gamecock fan was when they lost to Clemson 56 to 7. And I can just remember yeah. people showing me constant videos of Jamarcus King getting dragged into the end zone by Michael we, my whatever the Williams dude was, I can't yeah, remember. Mike Williams, yeah. Mike Williams. That's that a was, good one. That was by far the worst probably the worst 
three-day stretch of my life was that weekend. That's definitely up there for me because I was at that game. Or I was So, here's the worst part. I was in Clemson for that game, and I stood outside of the gate at the hill to watch that game. So, can you mm-hmm. only imagine? Um, that definitely ranks up. That, that definitely ranks up there as one of the worst weekend. I mean, God, I mean, it's, you know, worst weekend as a Gamecock fan. I, I mean, I don't even know. Um, I'll tell you this, man. I was at 2014 Tennessee. That was brutal. That was a brutal game. Letting a three lead, three score lead or two score lead with like four minutes left slip away. Um, that was a brutal weekend just because of that game. I mean, that was that was miserable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I 56 to seven is a pretty good one. All right, let's. Yeah, that that's that's a pretty good one. All right, we've got some shorter voicemails. We should, we should be able to knock these out pretty quickly. Yeah, I think this team needs to get some defense. How about that? And when are they going to be Jake Bentley? You oh need to tell me that. God, dude. Yeah, right. I'm so down with this team. Is there any comment needed on that voicemail? No, Jake Bentley – didn't play that it's so it's just the wrong there if you think Jake Bentley was the reason that they lost that game and you're just blind and you just have hate for him in general the defense obviously didn't play well and I think depth is a big thing there but Jake Bentley was not the reason they lost that game stop blaming hashtag stop blaming Jake Bentley yeah (laughs) all right next voicemail man I just like no why the hell does Carolina think in the fourth quarter, all we had to do was pound, 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 run when you ain't getting but two and three yards of carry. Jake Bentley was on fire the whole fucking first half. <laughs> and then he had that one big completion of Debo, start the third, mid-third. But then we just want to pound the ball. Please answer my question. That was beautiful. That's yeah, beautiful. Love it. That, that's – I mean, we need more voicemails like that one. Please – somebody asked me Saturday, can we use profanity? It's encouraged. Please. Yeah, love it. Um, yeah, you make a lot of good points. I mean, I don't really know what else to say other than that. I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. Like, I, there's nothing I can say. I, it's literally everything we've talked about the podcast that went, went wrong. Yeah, no, that's a ton of great points. All right, here's another one. It ain't no way Will Muschamp used to be the defensive coordinator for Nick Saban at LSU, and he comes to South Carolina and plays like a real conservative person. He is not aggressive enough, so I really need for him to go and get rid of Jake Bentley and Bobby Bentley, three quarters in the history of South Carolina. I thought Lou Holtz was bad, but no. Will Muschamp is just straight-up horrible. Oh Didn't Lou Holtz beat Ohio State twice? Like a week. We no, just, he said he history. said he thought he said he thought Lou Holtz was bad. Will Muschamp is horrible, just straight up horrible. That's okay. And, I don't know who you are, dude, but that's the top. That's top ten worst takes I've ever heard in my life. And I love no the thing I love about that voicemail is he said Jake Bentley and Bobby Bentley and Will Muschamp are the three most horrible people in the history of South Carolina. <laughs> Bobby, I can get on board with. Jake is probably going to end up being oh, like a top three statistical God. quarterback, so I can't really knock him. And Muschamp, if you, I don't, I'm just lost with that voicemail. Again, again, a ton of these are right after the game, most yeah. of them. So you just have to understand that we only got a couple, a couple more. But God, that was classic. It's absolutely classic. 
on Chair South Kakalaki. What's going on? It's Brian Beatty. Uh, not in such high spirits today. Obviously, that was a miserable loss. Um, probably the worst one this season. And definitely the worst defensive performance this season by a landslide. Uh, and I think that was the takeaway for me today. You know, I think defense took, just took a shit, you know. Zip Brunson showed up as usual and everyone else just was not there. Couldn't get people on the ground. Tackling was just horrible. And, uh, I think that's 90% of the loss. You know, I know Clay Collin was obviously shot in the fourth quarter. And, uh, Bentley, you know, through that interception. But, uh, I think those two things had very little to do with the overall loss. I mean, I just think defensively it was a nightmare. Uh, but I was curious what y'all's opinions were. I mean, because I think a lot of people on Twitter now saying this is coaching's fault. This is all coaching. I mean, I think a little bit, but mostly it was just our defense is soft. What are y'all's thoughts? Yeah, appreciate the call, Brian. Um, that's a very I – mean, obviously, Tom, that's exactly what you were saying. I, you know, definitely uh, echo what you you were saying. I mean, it's – I don't think it's all on coaching. I mean, definitely you need to hold coaching accountable, but, I mean, that defense is just so suspect. I mean, it's – I mean, you know, I don't even want to say lead, that you got to hold on. I don't even want to say that it's suspect. It's just we have no depth. You can't – I mean, you're not going to be able to – you can't rotate four guys at the entire game in the SEC and not expect to get pounded like we did. I mean, you don't have yeah. the depth there. Yeah. I, just, I mean, it's really what kills it. Yeah. No, appreciate it, Brian. Really good voicemail there. All right. We got we got uh, four more, so just bear with us. Actually, we have three more because I forgot that one was blank. Sorry. <laughs> cool, Chris. Three more. All right. Here we go. Here we go. This one's a gr- – oh, I forgot about this one, Tom. This one is especially my favorite because it's a little bit directed at you, and it's absolutely fantastic. Hello, this is Michael. How are y'all doing? Uh, first, I want to start off, uh, this is a shout-out to Tom. My Tennessee Titans actually beat the uh, New England Patriots uh, this past weekend. I just want to say our defense really shut – our defense really uh, shut down Tom Brady and the GOAT. So, um, <laughs> but um, anyways, I just want to talk about how crazy this past uh, game was. Um, this game has probably left left the baddest taste in my mouth since I want to say the Tennessee game in 2013, where that game cost us us to go to the SEC championship. But my really question was, at what point did you think, okay, Florida's going to come back and win this thing, or we're going to lose? I felt like after they scored and went and it was 31-28, I'm like, Carolina's going to lose this ball game because at that point they have all the momentum. They have everything going for them, and our defense is just giving up everything. So I just wanted to ask that question, and I don't know what in the world much time or McClendon was doing, but um, hopefully they get it fixed. Mm-hmm. But um, just wanting to call and uh, air my concerns. That one question. All right, thanks. Tom, you got any comments on that? Uh, I mean, call me when the Titans make the playoffs, I guess. I mean, didn't we push oh, you out man. last year? Not going to call oh, me out any more than that. He I, went, mean, I mean, he went right. Appreciate the voicemail, by the way, Michael. Yeah, we do. I mean, it, he went I, I mean, right for the jugular. Yeah, just, I mean, you're killing me. I had a really bad weekend last year, last week. You don't have to, you know, just. Yeah, maybe, maybe, out. maybe this past weekend was your worst sports weekend ever. Okay, I mean, think weekend, about it. it was South Carolina basketball loses, Carolina Academy loses, Gamecocks football, Patriots football. I mean, 
I don't think you and won then, anything this weekend. How about some dude tweeted back at me? Brad Crawford tweeted something. I mean, we're friends with him. I, I disagree with Brad Crawford's take that Debo would be the best running back on South Carolina's roster if he had twenty five. If he got twenty five carries, he could go for one fifty. I don't think Debo has the body size for that. And I tweeted that back. And some dude randomly, I don't even know. He has to be a listener of the show. Tweeted back at me and said that this guy always has horrible takes. Stick to eight man football. That dude does not need to put any disrespect on eight-man football. Eight-man football is where legends. Oh, man. Mark Sanchez played in eight-man football. So Didn't uh, the kid that went to play D-end at uh, Clemson? The uh, God, he was he played for Steve Tannehill. Yeah, he played, Steve Tannehill had a, used to coach in Columbia at some school. I can't remember. But, I mean, back to – what what was the what was the um the guy's question again? I, I slipped. I mean, he was just honestly, he was just talking about the Will Muschamp and McClendon. What were they thinking? Kind of the same exact. I mean, the, I think the thing we haven't really addressed is that Florida basically just got Uncle Mo, and it it, it shut South Carolina down. Is really yeah. what happened. I mean, you you get that one play on third and nine, the fluke first down. If they don't get that, we probably win that game. But they get it. The football gods play in their favor, and it, I mean, it sucks, and it was an awful taste in your mouth, but. I don't know, just a weekend. Yeah, yeah. Now, it left a terrible taste in everybody's mouth. But, um, yeah, I, I was just going to say, Michael, I, I, I wasn't sure if Tom would allow Tom Brady slander on this podcast. No, there's right? no Tom Brady. He did call him a goat. So <laughs> he, I did, he actually did compliment him as he talked crap. So, at least he can give respect. Res- respect yeah. is due. But, yeah, anyways, I, that's a little harassing. All right, all right, here we go. I can't be hours waiting to retire. Tall sports a bitch. <laughs> All right. That was for you specifically, Tom. Yeah. Shout so. out to Josh and Spencer. I appreciate it, guys. Yep. 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 All right. All right. Here's our last voicemail. And I feel like this is such a good way to end it because of this question. Hey, guys. How you doing? Do we have a legitimate chance to beat Clemson? Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Nope. Yeah, no, I'm, we would have nope. to have, we would have to like break Trevor Lawrence's oh. arm in the first. I mean, I don't want that to happen to the kid. I don't have any ill will. I don't. I'm not saying. No, 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 no. Of course, happen, of course, of course. He would have to get. He would have to get hurt, and Jake Bentley would have to play a Heisman level game for us to win. That you know though. You know though, Matt Barber uh, at Dixie Fried Sport. Not any free ads or anything, but Matt's a good buddy. Uh, Matt Barber made a great point. There hasn't been like the signature upset in the Carolina Clemson rivalry. Like, not, there really hasn't ever. I mean, I mean, you think there about hasn't it, been like a huge upset. So, I mean, it's overdue to happen, but no, no, just. No. I mean, if you think about it, if we beat Clemson in two, in two weeks, we would basically put them out of the playoff. I, I mean, I think Clemson fans would like literally jump off a bridge if that happened. I Dude, really, be, I would really be. do. The ultimate makeup for us losing fifty six to seven. I wouldn't care. That that loss would be forever yeah. gone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. Well, yeah. Hey, appreciate it. Obviously, we uh, we always put out the uh, the voicemail numbers. I, I mean, I, re- I really appreciate you guys calling in. Those are absolutely awesome. Please continue to call in with your with your Patriot shit talk if they continue to lose because it makes me feel really good. So, um, whatever, man. <laughs> Um, just wrapping up the show really quickly. I know we've kept you guys long as it is, but men's basketball crushed Norfolk State tonight where we're recording. I don't have the final score pulled up, but I think the Gamecocks won by about 20 or 30. I'll have a, point win. Yeah, yeah, I'll have a full breakdown of that uh, on the Daily Crow tomorrow. But other than that, we've already talked about the Ryan Helinski stuff. Um, 
other than that, good show, Tom. Um, appreciate you guys tuning in. We've actually got a very special interview coming up as well. Uh, you guys all know him, former Gamecocks quarterback and host of the Fade In podcast. Eric Kimry was kind of going to take some of his time to talk about his playing days at Carolina, his coaching days right now at Hammond, coaching Jackson Muschamp, the son of Will Muschamp. Uh, and also, of course, talk about the infamous play, um, the fade pass, um, and also talk about his podcast, the Fade In podcast, that I know is really, really popular amongst Gamecock fans. So, Appreciate you guys tuning in to us. We'll be back next week to recap the Gamecocks game against Chattanooga and preview the upcoming matchup for rivalry week against Clemson. Until then, enjoy this interview with Eric Kimry, and we'll catch you next time. All right, joining us on the Spurs Up show today, a quarterback known by Gamecock fans will forever live in Gamecock lore uh, in 2000 through one of the most memorable passes by a Gamecock quarterback I think any of us will ever recall joining us on the show. He also has a fantastic podcast called Fade In. Appreciate you coming on. I'm, I'm really excited to have you on the show. Hey, man, thank you so much for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, like I said, you've got a podcast now. Um, all Gamecock fans, I would assume, know who you are. But talk a little bit about, obviously, the Fade In podcast. I'm a, I am know myself. I'm a weekly listener. You guys do a fantastic job. You've had some of the biggest and best Gamecocks guests I think you can think of. Just talk about kind of the show, um, sort of what you guys are doing and what you're doing, kind of the direction with the, uh, with the podcast as a whole. Sure, yeah. Well, you guys is just me. So, <laughs> this is just me doing this. Um, but, you know, for years now, I've wanted to go out and speak publicly about football. Um, you know, I think that people enjoy clinics, uh, particularly like ladies clinics or or anytime you can get together in an inviting you know environment and talk about football, people enjoy it. Um, and I've grown up in the game. Uh, my whole life has been kind of centered around the game of football. When I was born on the first day of two days, actually. My dad had to be pulled <laughs> off of the field uh, to come to the hospital and uh, you know, just grew up as my dad being a football coach. Uh, my first, uh, I developed my first no huddle offense when I was 12 years old with my little brothers in the front yard. Wow. Um, so we came up with a no huddle system. You know, those old uh, baseball card covers that you could, you know, put your baseball cards in. Mm. Well, we would make plays and tape them to our wrists. And we had, you know, signals. And we had this hurry up no huddle offense back in the early 90s with my little brothers in the neighborhood. We didn't lose many games back then. So, you guys are ahead of the times, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but so anyway, all I have to say is that football has just been integral in my life. And uh, I kind of view the world through the game in a certain extent. And uh, I love talking about the game and talking about the things that uh, the game affords you to talk about, which is kind of life and, and, and some of the challenges that life presents. Um, so I've been thinking about doing something like this in different forms or fashions for years and finally uh, felt like now was the right time to do it um you know of course being around the university and having played there and I've got a lot of relationships with guys that I felt like would be you know great to talk to and get their insight and so more than anything I'm trying to pull out their stories um their insights about the game and, and even maybe life lessons around the game and so we go up uh to Riverad every Tuesday night right now and sit around the table have a couple of beers and talk about football and then we record it. So I can't think of something more fun to do. And, you know, it's been well received so far. No, absolutely. For sure. I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's living the dream right there. Um, I want to ask you, cause you know, we've had some mutual guests as far as on our shows, but I want to ask cause you, you definitely, you have the opportunity to talk to a lot of people within Gamecock football and just Gamecocks athletics that, have had a huge impact, whether it's on the field, off the field, 
Um, do you have one guest or one conversation that maybe sticks out from all the others that you're, you kind of walked away and were like, wow, that was, that was an awesome show. Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of them, honestly. And I've been very surprised at some of the things that uh, we've been able to talk about. I think, uh, you know, Andre Goodman's a guy that I just have a lot of admiration for. Um, he is a well thought out deep individual. And when we were talking about the transit transition, from his career in the NFL to everyday life and what kind of struggles that entailed. And Perry Orth was on that show and he, he, he described his struggles as well. And I walked away just thinking, um, yeah, man, that was a good conversation. And I actually had a couple of people reach out to me and tell me how much that meant to them. Um, I think anytime you get Brad Lawing on a podcast, it's just, it's <laughs> yeah. just a, it's a fun ride. Yeah. And, uh, and Brad just has so much knowledge about the game of football, but also so many stories. Uh, when he told the story about, Steve Spurrier inventing the shotgun, so to speak. Uh, I mean, just, I mean, you can name a bunch of them, but uh, Brad's always been an exciting guest. I think anytime Ellis Johnson's on, I learned something. Um, so uh, he, he's such a well thought out and respected defensive coach that has so much experience that it's been good for me just to, to pick those guys' brains a little bit. So I, I couldn't pick out a favorite, but there's been a lot of really, really cool stories. And in last week's podcast, we had Dale Wilkes on who uh, had a professional wrestling career and uh, struggled with addiction to pain pills afterwards, which landed him in jail. And, uh, and he spent some time in jail and was able to turn his life around after that. Um, so it's been really cool. And I've learned a lot through the process and, and I'm enjoying doing it right now. That's great stuff, man. It's definitely cool for sure. Because you talk about like Perry Orr, it's a guy, he's a friend of our show. And it, you know, it's really cool, like you said, when you get people – um, sort of in an environment where they're comfortable and they can open up and people just kind of realize, hey, these are human beings. You know I mean? You talk about like the daily struggles after football or whatever they're going through. That to me, you know, personally, I know from, from our side of things is a really cool and neat thing just to kind of see, get the human side of things. So really, really awesome stuff. Um, again, it's at Fade In, right? You guys are on iTunes. I saw Buzzsprout as well, but you guys yeah. are all over. Yeah, we're on iTunes. We're, you know, you, and I, I tweeted out so you can follow me on Twitter, E-R-I-K-K-A-M-R-E-Y. But, uh, no, you speak to a, a good point there. And it's, I think in the world of fantasy football, we often view athletes as commodities um, when they're very, very complex individuals. And some of the stories and feelings that you can pull out of them, you know, can really speak to a lot of the struggles that we have as individuals. So um, that's been a cool element to it, but also, man, there's so many fun stories in the game of football. And that's one of the one, one of the one things I wanted to highlight was I just look back at my career at Carolina and how many untold, like hilarious stories there are about Lou Holtz or Phil Petty or Ryan Brewer and my friends that I played with. And, and when you can kind of dig those out, man, it's kind of like, you know, mining for uh, gold a little bit. So it's been good. Absolutely. So, yep, Eric Kemper joining us on the Spurs Up Show. Eric, again, you talk about your time at South Carolina. I want to talk about that. Um, you were with the Gamecocks from 2000 to 2002. You know, I talked about a little bit before, about a month or so ago, with one of your former teammates, Langston Moore, who I know you had on your show as well. Um, but I want to ask you as well, you come to South Carolina. Um, first, I'll start. What made you choose to come to South Carolina? What ultimately was the decision to uh, play your college football in Columbia? Yeah, so I walked on. Um, I had a really good high school career, but I'm six foot one. I probably run a four nine forty with a strong breeze behind my back. Um, so I didn't have a lot of offers. I was going to go to the Naval Academy. They were the biggest school to offer me. And honestly, uh, thought I wanted to be an engineer. My mother's an engineer. I love math. And um, and then Brad Scott, who was a coach at the time, came to me in 1998 
and asked me to come walk on. Uh, said, Eric, if you come walk on, we'll put you on scholarship at the end of the year. Um, and so I did that, but we won our first game and lost 10 in a row. And, uh, and, and Coach Scott was unfortunately fired. Well, they bring in this guy named Lou Holtz, who loves to run the option, and had a guy named Tony Rice that ran the triple option at Notre Dame for him. And if you, can, if you saw me, you'd know I'm not an option quarterback just by looking at me. So it took me a couple of years. Well, the first year, we were an option run-oriented team. And then the second year, in 2000, we moved to the spread. And that's when I was able to move from literally the seventh string quarterback to the second string quarterback. <laughs> and, um, and that was a really cool turnaround year for us. Absolutely. So getting back to the question that I was talking about, I asked Langston more about, I want to ask you, what was it like playing under coach Holt? Um, I think he's somebody similar to the, you know, some of the great coaches like coach Spurrier and others that he means something different probably to every player on the roster. Um, what did coach Holt mean to you? You know, I think your relationship with every coach is very complex. Um, there's things that you would do, and there's things that you wouldn't do. Uh, I think the further I've gotten away from my career, the more I appreciate the things that Coach Holtz taught me. I think early in my coaching career, I focused more on the things that I wouldn't do, just because our personalities are different. Uh, but there's no doubt that Coach Holtz had a tremendous impact on my life. Uh, he, he told some great stories. He had some great life lessons. He understood he understood how human beings work on a deep level. Um, and sometimes he had a harder time implementing that in terms of a coach. But and I think those ended up being his undermining in terms of, of you know, just the way that his tenure at South Carolina ended. But you can't, you know, you can't deny the impact that he had on the program. We went from a 1-10 team to his first year, 0-11 team, with a lot of injuries. And then had the best turnaround, one of the best turnarounds in college football history by going from zero wins to eight and four and then nine and three the next year. And I feel like he set the stage for someone like Coach Spurrier to come in and, and raise the bar even more. Um, so I think with, I don't know, with, wisdom, with, with time comes a little bit of wisdom and more humility to where I look back now at Coach Holtz and I'm really grateful for the things that he taught me. Um, and I'm super grateful for my time at South Carolina, that's for sure. Absolutely. So, yeah, you talk about sort of the turnaround, if you will, obviously zero wins in 99, what you guys did in 2000, 2001, out back-to-back Outback Bowl victories. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously unprecedented, one of the best turnarounds in college ball history. Um, one of the guys, obviously, you talked about 99, tons of injuries, and one of the guys that suffered through those injuries was Phil Petty. And a guy that I think is probably one of the most underrated quarterbacks in South Carolina history. Um, that's just my opinion, fair or unfair, but um, talk about, you know, because obviously he was a guy I feel like that would lay it out. He, he's, you know, maybe I'm wrong in this again, but I could pair him almost to a Jake Bentley where he might be looked at differently by some fans, but I feel like he's a guy every single Saturday that would lay it out for you every single week to get a win. He would do whatever he had to do, and I think that just kind of showed from his playing style and maybe one reason why he was, you know, battled through some injuries. Just talk about your relationship with him and, you know, just sort of your thoughts on the player and the person that Phil Petty was. Well, Phil was a really close friend, and anytime he's in town and we can connect, we, we really enjoy our time together. We got to be close friends because we ended up rooming uh, together on the road. And I'll tell you what, some of the best memories in the world are going on the road with, you know, 80 of your best friends and staying in great hotels and playing football and these, these wonderful stadiums against a crowd that completely hates you. Um, so Phil and I got to experience that together. Uh, again, we had a great relationship. He was a he was a fantastic quarterback. I think you're 100% right in your assessment of his place in South Carolina history. You know, Phil wasn't going to wow you with just an NFL arm. 
but he had a really good arm and he threw the ball very accurately. And Phil was the extremely intelligent quarterback. He knew where to put the ball. Uh, he knew how to read defenses and he was athletic enough to make plays and extend plays with his, with his legs. So uh, he was a lot better than I was. There was a, definitely a reason why I was his backup. Uh, and, you know, uh, as a backup, I just try to do my best to, you know, supplement the guys in front of me and help them know that if they could do something, if I could help them think through the game the way I could think through it and they could do it with their athleticism, uh, then we were a better team. And I didn't need to do that with Phil, but as I got older with some of the younger guys, I tried to do that. Um, but Phil's a wonderful dude. Uh, he lives at the beach now. I wish he'd come into Columbia more so I could see him more. <laughs> No, absolutely, for sure. Um, so getting into that 2000 season, obviously, again, I talked to you before the show a little bit. We got to talk about the fade. Um, obviously, um, everyone knows the story. You guys are playing Mississippi State at home. Phil Petty goes out with an injury. It's fourth down. Um, you know, the legendary conversation, I guess, between you and Coach Holtz. Talk about just that play, just kind of that whole saga, if you will. I know you've probably been asked a million times, but just that whole saga, you know, on third down, Phil Petty gets hurt. You know, you have that conversation with Lou Holtz, and then, you know, the rest is history. Just talk about how that sort of all unfolded. Yeah, you know, it's completely surreal that that even happened. Um, I think that the, the gravity of the situation certainly didn't hit me at the time. Um, you know, again, we had just come off an 11 season, and we had uh, beaten New Mexico State, and the fans tore down the goalpost. And then Georgia comes into town with Quincy Carter, a Heisman Trophy candidate throws five picks, and we beat them. They tear the goalpost down. We beat a bad Eastern Michigan team. And then Mississippi State comes into town, and that's a, you know, a team that just played for the SEC championship and lost to Peyton Manning's or T. Martin's Tennessee team. So they were a really good team. And I think that this was a game where Gamecock fans were kind of like, is, is this team for real or not? But all game long, their defensive coordinator was a guy named Joe Lee Dunn. And Coach Dunn was uh, renowned for bringing a lot of pressure. And that year, he had this thing where he'd play 11 guys in the line of scrimmage if you were a spread team. He'd press every single receiver, and he'd put six guys up if you were in a spread set, and he'd bring them. Well, they had been doing that a good bit of the game. And people forget the, the game that Phil Petty had. That they, they think about me in the fade. But Phil threw for over 300 yards that game, one of his, his best games as a Gamecock in terms of yards. And, uh, you know, they had been bringing a lot of pressure, and it was third and ten. And they brought a guy off the edge again. And Phil kind of eluded him and rolled to the right and got hit and undercut and sprained his ankle pretty good. And I remember looking at him and saying, okay, okay, Phil, get up. You know, I hadn't thrown a ball since halftime. And, uh, and he fell back down. And that's when I knew to go get my helmet. So I went and got my helmet. I threw about three balls to uh, one of the other quarterbacks there. And um, Coach Holtz walks up to me and says, hey, Eric, what do you like? And I said, Coach, let's throw 18. And 18 was our number for the fade. Outside guys were on the fade. And, and I, I kind of went into coach mode because when I was in high school, I called all the plays from the line of scrimmage. And if anybody pressed me, I oftentimes would check to a fade route. And so as a backup quarterback, you, you try to stay in tune to the game. And I knew what they were doing. And it wasn't any surprise that they were going to be impressed. And so I just said, Coach, let's throw 18. Now, he had his own version after the, the, the game, which was even better than mine. And a lot of people know me for that play probably because of the way he described it. But, you know, I went into the game and, and I saw Jermel. I was on the right hash on the 25-yard line. And I saw Jermel get impressed by um, their worst corner. And not that he was bad, but he wasn't Fred Smoot, who was an NFL caliber corner and who was pressing James Atkinson at the time. And, and in my opinion, Jermel was our best receiver. So it was, I knew where I was going with the ball before the ball was snapped. And 
Uh, they snapped it back, and we were taught back then just to catch it, flip it, and throw it. I didn't have the laces, um, which we were taught just to let it go. So I didn't have the laces when I threw that ball. And, and I looked out the corner of my eye, and I saw Jermel getting kind of jammed up just a touch. So I put a little bit more air on it than I normally would, which is something I did in high school. And at first I was like, oh, man, I hope I didn't overthrow him. But the ball dropped in there. Jamel made a great catch. I mean, an absolutely wonderful catch. So, I, you know, my mom hugged him, I think, for three years after that play, every time she saw him. So, and the rest is kind of history. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of surreal to be known by a great play when you were a very average to below average player. Um, sometimes I feel bad about it because there's guys that had wonderful careers that were, you know, unbelievable players. I mean, I think about Andre Goodman who's known by the push-off, and he had a 10-year NFL career. Um, and here's this kind of scrubby walk-on that's known by a great play. So. But anyway, I'll take it, I guess. <laughs> the, uh, I was just going to say the legend that is college football. I feel like that's just kind of how it goes. Um, I, I was going to say, you know, it's funny because I, I was going to get to the 2018 game, Cox, but, you know, I know it obviously wasn't a whole game and only one play, but I feel like you're going to have – you have a very similar place as Michael Skarnecki is going to have in South Carolina football history where it's – you know, he, I mean, obviously he's going to be remembered forever, I, I, in my, at least in my mind, for that Missouri game, for what he did, you know, a guy that hadn't really played at all, any meaningful snaps, and to come out and play the way he did. Again, obviously it wasn't just one play, but I, I don't know. It, it just feels to me very like a very similar situation, if that makes sense, just a guy that, you know, hadn't really done a whole lot and comes out and really, you know, makes it happen and sort of wins a football game for you, I mean, it, in, a, in a sense, so. I, I think what he did is way more impressive. You know, I mean, <laughs> right. he can't. No, I'm, I'm being 100% honest with you. Now, he came out and played a whole game, and then not only that, he played it in the rain yeah, um, and performed true. the way he did. So, uh, in my opinion, you know, what he did is, is is 10 times better than what I did. All right, yeah, give yourself some credit now. I'm, I'm gonna give you the credit at least. But, uh, <laughs> well, um, I, you but, know, I I think like a coach, and that's so. You know, that's how I evaluate things. I'm like, okay, one guy made one pass, and then one guy led our team to a victory through the rain. <laughs> I'm going to give him the nod on that one. No, good point, good point. I'm going to get to that in just a second. But just wrapping up kind of your career, again, you talked about it before. You guys led South Carolina to back-to-back Outback Bowl victories. I mean, something that – I mean, South Carolina didn't win their first bowl game until 1995. So, obviously, something that had, had not been done, that sort of sustained success, if you will, I don't think had been seen. Let's talk about kind of what it meant, you know, obviously, you know, Phil Petty was the guy, but obviously you had a play in that. You were on the roster, and it's it's one team, right? Talk about just sort of what that meant to you guys giving Gamecock Nation and being the first Gamecock team, I would say, to really set up what, you know, like you said, what Steve Spurrier was able to do and really kind of lay the foundation for Gamecock football as it is now. Sure. I mean, we can think about that in hindsight, but when you're going through it, of course, you can't predict the future or know that mm-hmm. someone like Coach Spurrier is going to come. But I can say this, it was very meaningful. And that's the beauty of playing football or coaching football is that you take a group of individuals and you all have a common goal and you're all willing to honestly suffer for something hopefully important and meaningful. And every year it's a different struggle, but it is a struggle and it's hard. There's a reason that everybody doesn't play football. And it's because it's very, very difficult. And when you put forth that much effort into something collectively with other people, you know, it's not surprised that people say, hey, playing football, you know, I feel like I had 80 brothers on the team. And that's true to this day. When I see someone I played with, we, we embrace and we tell stories and it's because we suffered together. Um, and it was hard, but it was meaningful. And when you win, it makes it that much more 
exciting and meaningful. So to be a part of those two teams and to have that kind of success uh, was something that really shaped me as a person, uh, shaped me as a football coach. And I don't think I'd be the person that I am today without that experience. So I'm really, really grateful to be honest with you that I was a part of those two teams for the relationships I had, for what I learned as a football player that would lead to, uh, you know, me being a coach and, you know, I'm again, just very grateful. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, any funny, really funny Lou Holt stories that you can share with us? Anything in particular? Yeah, yeah, sure. I got plenty of those, but, uh, <laughs> coach Holtz was a really quick witted dude and, um, you know, he's a very intelligent guy. One day we're at practice and it was a really, really windy day of practice. And, you know, coach is not a big guy. He's probably five, seven, 150 pounds soaking wet. And one of our O linemen or D linemen, I forgot who it was, the bigger guy said, coach, you better be careful. Uh, this, this wind may blow you away. And he goes, I've got my wallet in my back pocket. I'll be fine. <laughs> he said it without, a, without missing a beat. Um, it was great. And then I remember <laughs> it's funny to me now. It wasn't funny at the moment, but, um, you know, we were, we'd just lost to Vanderbilt in 1999 and we were 0 and 9 and we had Florida and Clemson left to play. And I think they were both top 10 teams at the time. And so it was evident to everyone that we were going to go 0 and 11. Well, we just lost. And again, remember the year before we went 1 and 10 under Coach Scott and Coach Holtz walks in the locker room and says, Brad Scott deserves a trophy this damn big for winning one game with your sorry ass. And then he walked out of the room. So <laughs> those are two things that pop out in my mind. <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's classic stuff. It, it sounds like Lou Holtz, honestly. Um, good stuff. I'll tell All you right. what, though. Uh, Phil Petty can do a better Lou Holtz than I can. Really? He's well, we'll have, really good. We'll have to get him on because the, the, the Lou Holtz impersonations are – I mean, they're, they're all time. Somebody can really do one well, those are all time. And those those will get a laugh at anybody because he's a character. There's no doubt. I love watching him on the college football final show. and God, he was a character. Um, all right, so – I want to talk to you, obviously, about your coaching days, but obviously we need to talk about 2018 Gamecock football. Sure. Uh, I know you still follow the program very, very closely, and we've chatted before about, you know, the games and everything. But um, obviously we're recording this Sunday night. Yesterday South Carolina suffers uh, a 35-31 loss to Florida in not great fashion, <laughs> uh, 31-17 late in the third quarter. Um, Gamecocks blow the lead again, lose the game. I want to look at the season from – kind of a 30,000 foot view, the whole perspective. And then we can zoom in sort of on what happened yesterday. Just talk about your overall analysis of the way this season has gone. Again, Gamecock sit at five and four, you know, you've got Chattanooga and Akron left. So, I mean, let's just assume you're going to get to a bowl game and most likely seven wins, but just talk about your, how your feelings on this season to this point, kind of what your, your, your thoughts have been on it. And then we can zoom in on what happened yesterday at Florida, obviously. Yeah, sure. I think the season's gone about, I mean, not specifically like I thought it would, but generally, you know, uh, about the way I thought it would go. I know that we won six games two years ago and then won nine games last year, but the manner in which we won those games, you know, really didn't convince me that we were a nine-win team. Um, and I, I know the hole that Coach Muschamp was left in terms of recruiting and how far we had fallen in such a short time to go three and nine, to lose to the Citadel, we were in a really bad spot. And Coach Muschamp and hired a very depleted roster. And that's not an excuse. I'm not making an excuse at all. I'm just telling you the facts. Mm -hmm. um, and I've talked to a lot of people that know way more about it than I do. Um, so for us to go to a bowl game that first year, I thought was just unbelievable. 
I thought that we completely overachieved. And, I, and then we honestly doubled that the next year by overachieving even more. So I think this year is probably a, a better indication of where we really are as a program. Um, you know, I think seven and five is kind of how we performed this year. We've been up and down. Uh, we haven't been consistent. Uh, some of our best players haven't uh, made plays all year long, but there's t- flashes of brilliance. There's flashes where you're like, man, we can really do this thing. You know, I've been a little surprised by the defense the past couple weeks, um, but it goes to show you how razor thin we were and how important building depth is for a program and how it takes years and years and years to do that. Um, so, again, I think that we're about where I thought we would be, um, but I think that what's more important than that is the trajectory of the program. Mm. And that's a word I use a lot is trajectory. And if you look at what Coach Muschamp has done from an organizational standpoint, he's completely overhauled recruiting. Um, we've got analysts now. We've got um, our, uh, a re- recruiting department that that's all they do, our, our, our graphics and Justin King and what they do and how we're interacting with young people nowadays has been completely overhauled. Yep. So, you know, in my mind, uh, where we're headed is great. Where we have to be as a fan base is patient. Because you you can't build it overnight, uh, and I think that all the arrows are pointing in the right direction. What we can't do is a repeat of the past, which is let's recycle coaches every five years. Because mm-hmm. all you're doing is spinning your wheels. I think we've got a fantastic head coach. I think we've got a great staff. They're getting better. The players are getting better, and these things just take time. And it's not a linear progression, you know. Like we think, okay, six wins, nine wins. Well, what's next? Well, it doesn't work that way. You look at any great coach. Any great program, that's just not how it works. It's just going to take some time. So, um, you know, long story short, I think that we're headed in the right direction. And this year is, you know, a, a, one of those steps in that direction, but not maybe where everybody wanted them to be in the in the first place. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with, you, agree with you, Eric. And it's funny, I, I'm – I told somebody this today. I, I'm not normally one that's one preaching patience because it's very tough to be patient. But, you know, I, it's – Sort of after yesterday's game, I, you know, I 100% agree with you. I, I don't think it's, you know, obviously right, and let's just dive right into it. Gamecocks lose in a game that I think will stretch many fans or the fan base's patience, if you will, you know, blowing that huge lead, some criticism for maybe some fourth-quarter play calling, were they too conservative, what have you. Um, but, you know, I walked away from yesterday's game. Obviously, I, I was in shock. Um, let me ask you, have you ever been a part of a game like that or seen a game like that where, and I'm sure you have, where a team was up, looked so dominant for basically three quarters of the game, and then you find a way to lose in the last quarter? Just talk about your overall thoughts from that game and I mean, what you took away from it. Yeah, well, I wouldn't describe us as dominant for three quarters. I mean, I think that the run defense was clearly an issue the entire game and one that left me like not comfortable the entire game. Listen, I, you know, I, I coach ball. Anytime you go into a game and you feel like you can control both lines of scrimmage, you feel very confident. When someone's running the ball up and down the field against you, you never feel confident, not for a second. Um, so, you know, was it disappointing? Uh, sure, it was. Uh, was I surprised that they were able to come back and run the ball the way that they did? I wasn't because, number one, they had a lot of success running the ball in the first half. And number two, our defense was only getting more tired and only thin, and only thinner as the game went on. So I knew that they would have success running the football for sure. Um, you know, it was a, it's just one of those things that happened where it's easy for fans. I'll say it's easy for fans. It's easy for a lot of us to say, 
to point at one thing as being the issue. Okay, it was this, and that's why we lost the game. But every game, there's multivariate reasons why someone loses. And the, the, the blame has to be shared collectively, you know, across the board, not just the defense, but the offense and the coaches. And even us fans play a small, small part in it, but we do. Um, and I think that the, the knee-jerk reaction is that we got too conservative in the fourth quarter. I disagree with that. I mean, that's not the reason we lost the game. We may have got 25% more conservative, 30% more conservative. You got to remember the game was 31 to 14. Is that right? Yeah, we had 17 point leads. Yeah. 31 to 14, we scored, okay? But then they went and scored. So right there, we were up by 10. Uh, there were 11 plays called between when it was 31 to 21 to when they took the lead on offense. Of those 11 plays, four were runs and five were RPOs, and two were passes. Now, in the RPO game, if people understand RPOs, which is a run-pass option, you know that the defense, in, a, in some sense, dictates, are we going to hand the ball or are we going to throw the ball based on a favorable box or a non-favorable box? Well, we were getting a very favorable box, and we called some really good football plays, and at the end of the day, we just didn't make the blocks up front um, to execute those. The same third longs that we made, in the first half running the football, um, we weren't able to convert those on first and second and even third down in the fourth quarter. Were we a little bit more conservative? Yeah, I'd say 25 to 30% more conservative, um, which I would do up by 10 points. You know, I don't think that that's um, a stretch at all. Most people do that. And I've seen a lot of people win games by being a little more conservative in the fourth quarter. And I've seen some people lose games by being a little bit more conservative in the fourth quarter. I've never seen anybody win a game when they give up 350-plus yards of, of rushing. So, to me, when I look back at the game, you know, the biggest culprit of the loss was, was the run defense, of course. You know, and that's probably – but, again, in, what is that, 80% of the reason we lost? 85? It's hard to quantify these things, you know. And I think it's easy for us to kind of point a finger at one thing and say, okay, that was it. Um, you know, when to stand back and say, okay, there was a lot of reasons why. Regardless, it was disappointing. I know that it, it stung a good bit because I think what was so hard about it is that you saw us look so good for so long. You saw the offense so sharp and look almost unstoppable. Uh, the defense was never sharp, but you're like, okay, we can get by. And so there was so much hope there. But, hey, you know, man, we could win eight games. We could contend with Clemson. All those things are in your heart, and then all of a sudden they get ripped out, <laughs> you know. Um, and to me, it's so funny to see the dynamics that happen afterwards in terms of reactions. But, you know, that was my takeaway. We're, we're really young on defense. We're beat up. We're undersized up front. Um, we need some help in certain positions. Those things will be fixed with recruiting. Um, and that's where we are. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. I definitely agree in the sense there are many, many factors on why South Carolina lost that football game yesterday. And, you know, it doesn't all fall on the play calling. I mean, I, I told a buddy of mine, um, I, my personal feeling is anytime you score 31 in a game, I know it's 2018 and offensive football and the RPOs and all that stuff, but in my opinion, anytime you score 31 in a game, you, that should be enough to win, in my personal opinion. And anytime so, you give up 350 plus yards of, deep, of yeah. rushing on defense, you deserve to lose the game, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. the point. It's like, it's really, really hard to win a football game when, you know, you give up that many yards and your offense sitting on the team on the field. So, again, it's multivariate, but we should put the weight where the weight belongs. Yep. You know, yeah, I, I to me, I didn't, I, didn't have any, I didn't have any issue with the play calling. 
They called plays that worked in the first half. Mm -hmm. They called plays that were appropriate for the situation. What happened, and I won't get into the technical things. Um, you know, we missed some blocks up front on our stretch play. One time was to the right, one time was on the, to the left. And if we just get those blocks, which are, you know, pretty simple blocks, uh, they're 20-yard runs. So I thought the calls were good. The execution just wasn't there. I know that people will disagree with me, but, uh, you know, that was my take at least. Yeah, no, I understand. Agree. I, I was just going to say, I think if you showed if you showed someone the stat sheet after the game with no score, you probably would have said that Florida probably won by two or three touchdowns. So you do make a great Easily. point. Yeah, in the sense that uh, you look at that statistically. I mean, South Carolina maybe never should have even been in the lead, or it should have never even been that close. Because, like you're saying, anytime you give up 350 plus rushing yards, and that that's just that's an absurd statistic. I mean, no matter what level of football you're playing at. Um, well, in 30, 34 first downs, it's like you're never on the field. Yeah, that's crazy. You know? And then <laughs> offense is a rhythmic thing. And when you're standing on the sideline, and, I, and, and trust me, as a coach, and I'm an offensive play caller, you know, when you're watching a 15-play drive and you're standing there for six minutes of the fourth quarter or whatever have you, it's hard. Like, you lose your rhythm a little bit. And so, you know, again, it's a team game. Could we have done some things on offense better? Sure. We could have all done things better. Coach could have coached better. Everybody could have played better. You know, again, you can't really quantify it, but what we can't do is reduce it down to something as simple as play calling. That's not the reason we lost. I'm sorry. Absolutely, for sure. Um, you know, and the one point I was going to make as well, you know, speaking – I don't know if I can speak as well for, obviously, your time there, I believe so. But, I mean, I just think anytime South Carolina has been a great football team, um, they've had great defenses. So – yeah, I think it's definitely going to take turning that side of the ball around to get to the level that I know Gamecock fans want to be at for sure. Um, Absolutely. And you know, so, you need, you need eight defensive linemen nowadays. I mean, right. when those big guys get tired, they get tired and we're just so thin up front um, that it, it wears on them and we're undersized and we're playing a lot of freshmen. I think against Ole Miss, we played six freshmen in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, how many safeties do we have? I mean, we're talking about a receiver going back to play safety. That's like where we are. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. Again, it's frustrating. We should be frustrated. We should want to win. But at the same time, we have to understand where the big arrow is pointing. And I think the big arrows are pointing up. Absolutely. Absolutely. So <clears throat> moving into, you know, closing out the 2018 season, obviously, um, you know, really quickly, game, let's just assume Gamecocks go seven and five, go to a bowl. Your overall take on the job Will Muschamp is doing and sort of the trajectory of South Carolina football? Because I have to imagine you at least get to seven and five, go to a bowl with the potential to be eight and five. The trajectory is still on a good path from there. Absolutely. And I think that that bowl game is important. Of course, we need to take care of business down the stretch. We need to beat Chattanooga and Akron, and those need to not be football games. I'd love to see us be more competitive with Clemson than we were last year. I feel like we were a little bit more competitive last year than we were the year before, which is a complete embarrassment. Um, but, you know, it's going to take a special game and a lot of help for us to be in that football game. They're just in a different place than we are right now. And if you're frustrated by that, I'd say a couple of things. Number one, where was Clemson Dabo Sweeney's third year, who also inherited a much healthier program than Will Muschamp did? So, you know, patience is important for sure. Um, and I also think that this, the success of Clemson and Georgia – is only going to help us right now in terms of building facilities, in terms of the expectations and wanting people to come in and, and, and the every year evaluation that we get in playing those two programs. We know exactly where we fall short. 
Um, it's painful. I don't like it. I hate losing the Clemson. I promise I hate it. I hate losing the Georgia too. But we get a, a yearly evaluation on where we have to get better and where we can close those gaps. So I'd love to see us close that gap a little bit. I think it's going to be hard this year because of our depths and injuries on defense. Um, but to be seven and five, I, and, and if we can go out and win that bowl game and win eight games with this young team, um, you know, I think that that's a positive year for sure. And another step in the right direction, even though it didn't match the wins from the year before. Yeah, I mean, I know everyone takes the reaction. The sky is falling anytime South kind of loses. And I completely understand. I have been there myself. But, you know, I think you're definitely on to something. The program is in the right trajectory. And, you know, the crazy thing is, Eric, is if you go 7-5 and five and win the bowl game, the the momentum and the energy is going to be nothing but positive with a good recruiting class and getting some big-time recruits that we know of on campus and getting them enrolled and moving into next season. So, um, you know, I, I definitely I agree. agree with you there. It's just it's tough because we live in social media world. And oftentimes, you know, the, the discourse in football reflects the political discourse, which is outrage and, you know, clickbaits and all the kind of stuff that we even saw this past week with Coach Moschamp and the voting thing. And, I mean, it's just – it's hard for people to take a step back and see the big picture because we're constantly fed negative things because negative things are what we click on. Negative things is what we remember. Um, and so, you know, sure, you can do that. Just know I don't think it really helps anything a whole lot. And give this guy time. Let's, let's give him some time and see what happens. And in a few years, I think we'll be in a better position to know, um, you know, where the really health of this program is. Yep, yep, I agree 100%. All right, closing out before we let you go, Eric, obviously I'm going to talk about you are a head coach at Hammond. Um, just talk about, you know, really quickly how you got into coaching, but obviously the job you're doing right now and, I guess sort of what's your favorite part of being a head coach? Yeah, now I got into coaching because my dad was a coach and I love the game of football. I saw the difference that my dad made in a lot of his players' lives. And um, and then I really enjoyed competing in the game of football. And I, I love chess. I love math. So I, I love the opportunity it forced me strategically to think through those things. But also, more than anything, the reason I'm a football coach is because I love being on a team. And I love being on a team with young people where we can use the adversity that we see uh, every single week uh, as, as a teaching tool. Um, and we can talk about a lot of life lessons through the game of football. Um, and that's not just coach speak and our cliche. That's just true. And I think that's what I love about football. I think that's why you can do your podcast and I can do mine. And we have things like sports talk radio It's because football is such a common point for people to be able to sit back and, you know, I say it's always it's philosophy for non-philosophers, and I actually teach a philosophy class at Hammond School, um, and so people can extrapolate every life's meaning from a, a football game, you know, everyday life meaning from a football game, and we can meet on a common point about uh, big topics like morals and integrity and things like chemistry, and these are important like big subjects that the game of football gives us all like this platform to talk about. Um, so it's really really cool that we can do that publicly as the society but as a football coach be able to do that privately with you know 40 kids 50 kids 70 kids whatever you have you and uh and be able to you know teach life life lessons through that I think is really really rewarding for me personally um so that's why I do it and you know I've had a, we've had a good run at Hammond and we've had a great season this year we're 12 and 0 and playing for wow. the state championship next Saturday so wow. coming Saturday at Benedict right right during the Gamecocks game so I won't be able to watch it I'll have to 
DVR it and uh, watch it the next day. So hopefully I'll be in a really good mood when I watch it. But hey, that's we'll awesome. See. That's awesome. Congratulations. Definitely for sure. I mean, undefeated record, not to jinx you or anything. I know you guys will get the dub on Saturday night, but uh, I know Jackson Muschamp, obviously, is your quarterback, Coach Muschamp's son. Um, you know, from, from I think I'm sure that has to be interesting from one guy to another. And I think I watched something where, where Coach Muschamp said, you know, he obviously stays out of it, respects everything. You no, know, he lets you do what you do best. Um, but what's that like? And obviously, knowing you're coaching Will Muschamp's son at the quarterback position, how, how has that been? It's been wonderful. I mean, Coach is one of the best parents we've had. He doesn't say a word. Um, he <laughs> says, hey, if I can ever help, let me help. I mean, he's kind of busy, you know. Um, <laughs> but Jackson is a uh, a really great kid. He's very intelligent. He has a high football IQ. Um, he was voted by his teammates as a captain, as a junior, which speaks to his ability to be a leader. And, um, you know, he's a really good quarterback, too. He's really developed nicely this past year. And um, it's been a lot of fun to coach him. Uh, he makes me look like a better coach than I am. So it's been a great experience so far. And, and you know, and Will has been, you know, awesome. And anytime we need anything, it, we just ask and, and he can help if, if he can. Uh, and sometimes it's just coming and watching them do what they do. And, and, and that's been a great resource for us for sure. Absolutely. That's awesome, man. Well, again, appreciate you coming on. Obviously, the stories, everything. Best of luck with the game, uh, Hammond's game. Obviously, you guys in the state championship. Uh, I know you already said, but let Eric, let everybody know where they can find you. Obviously, the Fade In podcast and uh, tune in to all of your comments on social media. Yeah, no, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter, at um, Eric Kimry. That's with a K, E-R-I-K-K-M-R-E-Y. Uh, and then Fade In is on it's on it's just fade in with Eric Kimry. It's on iTunes. Um I tweet it out, put it on Facebook all the time. You can kind of find it. Um and every every time that we have guests on, I'll put it out on Twitter and Facebook and you know, you can follow the Buzzsprout link from there. So uh looks like uh this Tuesday, I don't know when you're publishing this, but we're gonna have uh Brad Lawing back on with Andre wow, Goodman awesome. and Jeff Grant. Jeff Grant's the former quarterback. So should be fun. I'm looking forward to it and I appreciate uh appreciate you having me on today no no absolutely man great stuff legendary stuff and that obviously is a legendary lineup as well so yeah everybody go tune in again the fade in podcast absolutely fantastic eric does great work and obviously on social media i'm sure everyone listening to this already follows eric and has a clue about who eric kimry is but be sure to tune in you obviously eric gives some great insight on gamecock football and things happening around the program and maybe uh shed some realistic light on things happening that maybe fans don't comprehend or maybe don't want to comprehend. So again, well, no, man, it was a pleasure. It. I really Yeah. Yeah. Congrats to you guys on your uh, latest move. And I know that y'all are doing a great job as well. And I think that there's, there's room for a lot of good media um, about Carolina football. And, and I think podcast is probably the next wave of, of where people can catch that on demand. And, and so Chris, you guys do a good job as well. So I, I'm, you know, excited for y'all and your future as well. Well, we appreciate the kind words, man, and definitely going to have to catch you sometime at River Rat, get a brew, and, uh, you know, just talk some Gamecocks. Nothing better, in my opinion. So, um, again, appreciate Eric Kimry coming on. For Thomas Floyd and Eric Kimry, I'm Chris Phillips. Again, we appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll catch you next week as we recap the Gamecocks game against Chattanooga and preview the upcoming rivalry matchup against Clemson. Until then, appreciate it.